welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project podcast. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and I'm joined as always by Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor. Sadly, no Trish Lambert today. She yes. had another engagement, so right. so I'm afraid you're just stuck with us. Exactly, exactly. So good morning, so, everybody. Yeah. So today's, yeah, today's gonna be fun, right? Like we're we're outlining the season, and if if you find yourself asking. Isn't that what we've been doing for like the last <laughs> six weeks? Well, see, so um, this again, yeah, this, this, sort of, sort of, sort of. But see, okay, so we we we're doing things differently this season, and I think it's better. It's much sure. more complicated, but I think it's better um, uh, because, of course, the the way that we did it before was just to kind of march through episode by it. We we made a vague stab at the outline at the beginning of the season. Right. And then we followed that outline through episode by episode. And like a bunch of times where, you know, we were we but we were kind of stuck with it then, you know, and as we were developing ideas and things like it sometimes became hard to keep things in that shape or fit things into that shape. And anyway, in other seasons, we had a a sort of a harder outline based on the text here. We have fewer um Sort of fewer main uh, story moments, like where there's no kinslaying in this season, right? There's no darkening of Valinor in this season. You know, it's there, 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 there's not as much uh, uh, to sort of work with on a on a step by step narrative outline basis. Um, just a whole like bunch of things that need to happen all over the place, and we need to uh, to sort of coordinate how that how that comes around. Um, so I like the way that we've shifted it, where we've done a lot of you know we've. We've already done the bulk of our talking through issues, right? Thinking, you know, resolving problems, thinking through what our character is going to be doing, what are our main story ideas. You know, we've done the majority, I think, of our, like, digressions into, like, let us think about the ramifications of this on dwarf culture or elf culture or whatever. Um, but now, with all of that material, we have to... uh uh, we have to kind of shape it into place. And Nick, of course, is absolutely right. It is also true that this season is just more complicated than the others. Um, yeah, we don't have like a single story thread that we're following. We've got a bunch of different storylines with different characters in different places, and uh, it is much more complex. So we're trying to address that complexity. So the goal now, right, is is to sort of take all of this stuff that we've been talking about, you know, we've been addressing all these different topics and thinking of all these really cool storylines, and I'm going to actually make them fit, right? See how we can uh, map them into a 13-episode season. And then we'll go through those uh, those uh, those episodes uh, uh, one by one. Well, two by two, really, because, again, we've already worked through the major issues. So it's just kind of will be a review of those couple episodes to make sure that we're sort of ironing out any issues that we see as we go through. Um, we'll no be what happens next. No new issues will come up. Yeah, no, no, exactly. So, because we've done it. I mean, it's because, you know, yeah, it's we're finished with that, with issues. So it should be fine. Um, yep. Anyway, so uh, this is going to be great. We have some visual tools here uh, to uh, talk about and, and uh, still some uh, questions and controversies and things to work through. So we're going to uh, address all of uh, all of that stuff. And yeah, exactly, uh, Tony, doing Beler of Beleriand and its realms as a narrative is naturally complicated. Yeah, yeah. We can't just wander our way around the map, uh, kind of like Tolkien does in that chapter, right? Um, okay. 
So, uh, but first, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, we have two events that are upcoming. One is coming up next month, Nader Moot. We just had Sunshine Moot last weekend, uh, a week ago today. A week ago today, I was in Diagon Alley with my uh, son who was turning 11, so I took him to Diagon Alley, and he uh, got chosen at Ollivander's, and it was awesome. We had a great day at Harry Potter World, and then on Saturday, we went to Sunshine Moot, which was also awesome, really great time down there in Central Florida. Uh, glad uh, for all the people who could come and uh, join us there. We had a we had a we had a really fun day, uh, and we're looking. What was his uh, What was his wand core? Uh, uh, dragon heart string. Yeah, it was oak and dragon heart string was his wand. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. and how was sunshine moot? Sunshine moot was really cool. Uh, we Any had a, we had a big day of like. Almost the, like sort of the theme of the whole day was just sort of open discussion. It was really, really neat. Like there were there were there were sort of fewer. You know, it, this kind of always varies at different moots, right? Um, in some, there's like a whole lot of presenters. Uh, you know, sort of presenting kind of rapid fire, and you're like engaging with lots of different ideas over the course of the day. With some, there are fewer and more time for open discussion. And Sunshine Moot was like that. Um, so we had, like, just, I mean, almost all day long, we were, like, a series of different topics and things and some people presenting stuff. And and uh, we just, like, uh, you know, had this, like, open discussion. And we had a cool uh, trivia competition. And um, even, like, my talk, I, you know, I did a talk, uh, an almost completely spontaneous talk because it was on – Something I had just seen a couple of days before in New York, uh, the weekend before last, I was in New York City for the and uh, going to the Tolkien exhibit and the uh, at the Morgan Library and the symposium there and the New York Tolkien conference afterwards, and uh, it was uh, it was it was it was really cool because I was really struck well, I was struck by a bunch of the uh, uh, the items at the Tolkien exhibit, which is fantastic. Um, but there was one which really kind of jumped out at me, and so that's what I did my talk on. It's this, uh, this sort of facing page. Um, manuscript where on the left-hand side he wrote a penciled version, a fair-copied pencil version of his early poem, The Shores of Fairy. And on the right-hand side is a this sort of semi-abstract watercolor painting of, like, the trees and the sun and the moon and um, uh, Tenequitil in the middle. And it was it's really, really cool... A uh, uh, little, very carefully crafted watercolor piece on the one side, and the poem on the other. And my basic argument is like that. To me, when as soon as I looked at that, I'm like, that that's Tolkien's creative process right there. Like that's T- Tolkien's world building and story making in process. Um, writing a poem on one side of the page, painting a picture on the other side of the page, and the way that those two, that that poem and that painting, uh, sort of work together. Like it's clear that it is not just. Um, Neither one of them like is just an illustration of the other, right? They're both like sort of separate little visions that Tolkien has of this thing that he's trying to grasp, and it was is really anyway. So we we spent like at Sunshine Moot, we spent like at least two hours just having a, an open discussion about you know going back and forth between the painting and the poem. It was super fun, a great time at Sunshine Moot. Uh, so next month, Nader Moot, we're going over to the Netherlands. This is our second European Moot. Uh, which uh, which I'm, I'm so glad we get the opportunity uh, to uh, uh, to do that. So we're gonna go to uh, uh, the Nether. We're going to Leiden in the Netherlands, uh, and uh, we're gonna meet up there on April 13th. Um, the theme of that uh, conference of that uh, that moot is uh, translation. So we're gonna be looking at uh, at languages and translation uh, all day uh, that day. 
Um, so that's going to be super fun. And then, of course, the big, our big conference, Mythmoot 6 Dragons, will be at the end of June, June 27th through the 30th in Leesburg, Virginia. Um, and the call for papers deadline is very soon. That is this weekend. This weekend is the last chance to contact them uh, if you want to propose uh, a, uh, a presentation of some kind. It can be a paper presentation or other presentation. So, um, Myth Moon is shaping up again to be an awesome conference this year. So, that'll be pretty exciting. Um, anyway. Um, it's... Sunshine Moot sounded like a lot of fun. It was. It was. It's, I always uh, like the open discussion better. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my pet peeves about conferences. You know, like from grad school years onward, you know, I attended a lot of academic conferences. And one of my pet peeves was always, like, you sit around all day and you're listening to really interesting stuff, but you never get a chance to talk or do anything. Like, you're just like, you have to be passive. You know, like, sit and listen, sit and listen, sit and listen, maybe... Maybe you get like five minutes at the end where everybody, you know, like a Q&A section to the whole room the last five minutes at the end of a panel. I mean, it's it's really frustrating often, not to mention super tiring to just sit and listen and listen and listen all day long. So <clears throat> it's one of the things I've always tried to do at our moots uh, is to mix that up a little bit and be able to uh, give people a chance to participate more. So uh, anyway, yeah. Awesome. It's, uh, it's, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely fun. So many thanks to the organizers of Sunshine Moot. First time Moot down there. Uh, and it went, it went really well. My favorite part of Sunshine Moot, uh, or my, my favorite, uh, sort of like ironic fact about, fact about Sunshine Moot is that we were actually in a basement. Um, so it was, Excellent. Really, it was very cool. We did Sunshine Moot, uh, in the dark, which I loved. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of the yellow face really. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, it was very good, but oh, quick. Yeah. Uh, uh, discussing languages in the Netherlands is going to be, is going to be really fun. Like that, that's, that's going to be awesome. Um, but Madman Modeler, you're right. It was in a basement in Florida. So that was okay. Right. That was, that was, that was totally cool. Um, anyway, uh, so let us jump back into this episode because we have a lot of stuff to talk about here in today's session. So let us start off by glancing at our Gantt chart, because we have a Gantt uh, chart that it was has been made up for this, and people have been working on this for uh, uh, for a long time here. Um, and uh, these are the four primary benchmarks of the season. That is the the, the there, so there are four events, and those events are pretty much fixed. And we've been advised, Dave, that if we want to make any adjustments to what episodes these fall in, we'd better do that first, because none of the okay. rest of it's going to make sense if we uh, if we if we if we do that later. So, um, the first event is Fingen rescuing Mithros from Thangarodrim, right? And that's scheduled to happen at the end of episode one. The second event is the Marath Adarthad, the Feast of Reuniting, which is scheduled for Episode 5. The Dagor Aglareb, the Glorious Battle, which is scheduled for Episode 8. And then Glaurung escaping in Episode 13. One of the things that this shape... Um, uh, one of the sort of the obvious things right away... We obviously have much more time between the Dagor Aglareb and Glaurung escaping there than any other gap yeah um, if i were to make 
if I were to recommend any changes here, and I know we're not obligated to, but if I were to recommend any changes here, that would be my concern. Are we doing the Dagoraglareb too soon? Um, I'm wondering, uh, and I don't know, um, but um, uh, but anyway, I, my I know that episode eight has been a really important episode in our seasons past, right? That's been a big turning point episode in season two. It was the it was when after they arrived in Valinor, right? So we 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 had the shift from the journey to now we're in Valinor and we're working towards the unrest of the Noldor. Um, so that was a really big moment. It was in the episode, in season one. It was the uh, the destruction of the lamps. So it was the real turning point um, in Morgoth's career and in the relationship between Melkor, I should say, uh, and the rest of the Valar. In season three, it was the burning of the ships, right? So we had the arrival of the Feanorians in Middle Earth, and of course that moment of the burning of the ships, which you know I've often argued I think is is in some ways even a more important turning point for Feanor. Uh, like the sort of the real obvious kind of point of no return, even more than the kinslaying, perhaps. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, so I, I like see episode eight has been a big deal. Um, and therefore it's, it's, you know, if there's anything, and I know we talked about this earlier on, if there's anything in this season that seems to function in that same way, it would be the Dagor Aglareb. Um, we'll have to see how it works out though. Uh, but I'm just thinking like, okay, so we basically have, two episodes in between the Marath Adarthad and the Dagor Aglareb, right? We've got two episodes in between, whereas we have, what, four episodes? Nine, ten, eleven, twelve? Yeah, four episodes in between the Dagor Aglareb and Glaurung escaping in episode 13. Um, is that enough? You know, are we going to... Do we want to not have that in the middle this year, but have that pushed back a little bit further? Well, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not necessarily... Um, I'm not necessarily. Uh... Does seem like uh, it does seem like we're moving very fast in the middle of the season, and then right. Well, and again, at least I'm... at least superficially, it has the appearance of slowing down toward the end. Right, right. Now maybe we'll have more that we'll want to put in there, and that'll work really well. I just want to. So I'm not. I'm not suggesting a change right now. I'm just kind of flagging that. Like we we might want to keep that in mind. You know, to consider when we're thinking about the other stuff whether it would make it easier if we, uh, you know, uh, to, so just kind of put in the back of our minds, could we make a, a, a positive change by making that shift? Cause I think that well, that would certainly be, uh, be possible. Um, uh, but anyway, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Uh, let me, uh, put up the Gantt chart here. Okay. So here's the Gantt chart, which I think everybody who's on video can see. Um, all right, so this is divided vertically into different, like, sort of portions and, and sections. Oh, hang on a second. My, my, I've collapsed the Noldor. We don't want to collapse the Noldor. There we are. Okay. I've just uncollapsed my, the Noldor in my vision here. All right, so we've got the Noldor and all the, the stuff that we talked about with the Noldor and those kind of mapped out. Um, now, one thing I need help from from somebody What's the color coding? I mean, I get the color coding of the like sections of the season, I think. Um, but like, why are some of these neon green? I don't understand that. And I'm just wondering if what if that looks like it means something. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, are those uncertain? Are those more questionable? Green is for questionably placed items. Okay, great, great. Um, right, okay. 
Great. So those are those are uh, like more tentative. Got it. All right. Um, that's fine. So, and then I'm not going to go through in detail everything right now, but just to kind of skim through so you can see how this works, and we'll come back to it as we're discussing particular issues. Uh, then we've got the Sindar stuff, right? All the 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 stuff related to. The Sindar here, Celeborn, Goadriel, Círdan, Thingol, right? Luthien stuff, okay. Uh, the Dwarf stuff, which is a little patchy, right? That's uh, going to be an issue we're going to talk about later on. The Villain materials, right? Morgoth away a big chunk of the time. That's useful to see, okay. Um, we've got some Glaurung stuff there. Okay, and then we've got oh, building and making things. Interesting. Okay, right. So we because right because we got to build Vinyamar, and then we've got to turn around and build Gondolin, and sure, and then frame stuff which we've not worked out. Right. Got it. Okay. Cool. So this is uh, excellent initial work here uh, to have this stuff all listed out, and we'll be referring to this as we talk about specific issues uh, here uh, today. So. Um, Okay. Um, good. All right. Um, let me uh, put this away. Okay. One other brief note I would make about the initial, the benchmarks outline here. Um, And I know not everyone is going to like it when I say this. Don't get wedded to the dates. I would actually, I think it'll be much easier um, for the sake of our story if we don't continually try to tie things to the dates in Tolkien's chronology. Um, Because, remember, Tolkien did not make this into the kind of narrative, he never made this material into the kind of narrative that we're trying to do. And you know what happened to Tolkien when he did try to take things and make them into a narrative? He ended up shifting the chronology around a lot to make it all fit, right? That's like a big part of the revision process of The Lord of the Rings is like rearranging chronologies in order to make everything fit. Um, uh, So to me, that's actually just a distraction, right? I mean, it's good to know, like, we have the text, right? We're not changing the text. The text is there. Um, but I don't want to uh, get too distracted by the dates because it's not, in many cases, I think, not crucial. Um, especially since, exactly, Ellen, as you say, it's not like we're going to be putting the dates on the screen, right? So since we're not going to be, like, using the dates, we shouldn't forget about it totally, right? We do need to keep in mind um we need to make sure that we're aware of when we want time to be passing, but we're not always going to choose to have time pass in the same rates that, you know, that Tolkien outlines in his chronologies. So, um, you know, we need to be, uh, uh, we need to be set. Now you're right, Alan. I absolutely agree. These four things have to come in this order. No question. So the, the basic sequence is super important. Um, but, um, uh, it's just the, I'm just thinking of like the, you know, it's certainly in the way that we occupy the narrative, Right, the way that we uh, are going to be relaying the narrative, um, the, like the date proportions, you know, forty years between the Marathadarthad and the Dagoraglareb, and two hundred years between the Dagoraglareb and Glaurung escaping. I don't think we need like that needs to be something that we you know that we need to have 
a what five to one um, ratio right between um, those two gaps. I don't think that we need to preserve that sense of a five to one ratio in passage of time. We can, but I don't think that we need to be bound by that. And that could, to me, that's just like another factor that I'm like, I've got enough to think about. I can't think about that too. Um, exactly, Tony. We acknowledge that time has passed in certain places, but the exact amount that has passed really is not super important. Um, yeah. One thing one thing that always uh, makes for really great, entertaining, um, epic drama TV is spending a lot of time belaboring the passage of time. <laughs> the passage of time, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yep. That's Agreed. what people really want to tune into. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, okay, all right, so let's move forward into the specific issues here. So we've got a, a number of things up for debate, and again, I want to be coming back to the, the Gantt chart and thinking about some of the details as we go through some of these things. Will the kinslaying be revealed to Thingol before or after the Dagor Aglareb? Um, great question. And I agree that looking back, I think the timeline on the Thingol kinslaying plot is one of the most uncertain of all of the things that we talked about, isn't it? Um, to me, the crucial element... The, the reveal, the major plot arc that the reveal of the kinslaying affects most, I think this is going to be, this is going to be a true statement, is the Galadriel and Celeborn plot, right? That absolutely depends. I think it's crucial that she confesses her role to Celeborn, that Celeborn knows about the kinslaying before Thingol does, right? That he, we have to show him honoring her confidence, right? She is sharing it with him at a time when all the rest of the Noldor are like trying, like they don't want to go there, right? And it's, it, and sh so she takes the step of telling him and he takes the step of honoring her confidence and not telling Thingol or anybody else wow, it's still unknown. If, I think if that doesn't happen, if the Kinslaying is already revealed, then like we've the, a huge dynamic of the plot line that we had for them, um, for Galadriel and Celeborn, just gets, gets uh, uh, completely wrecked. Um, that's, to me, the biggest... Um, that's, to me, the biggest... Uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think if there are other plot lines that absolutely depend... Um, on uh, uh, when the kinslaying is revealed. And I can't think of that exactly. Um, yeah. Um, and Ellen, I think that's a, a very good idea. I, I think, and I know that was uh, suggested on the, the outlines and stuff too, that um, to have them announce their engagement. So, their their sort of mutual confidence happens before its general knowledge. The announcement of their engagement and then their wedding happens after the general knowledge so that it becomes a, especially for Celeborn, a countercultural movement towards reconciliation and forgiveness, right? Um, Celeborn will be in that case sort of marrying Galadriel like in Thingol's face, Right. And I don't mean that he's doing it defiantly. I don't mean that that's the attitude, right? But Thingol's mad and Celeborn is the one who's working in the other direction. 
This gives us another opportunity to make Celeborn at least a little bit awesome, right? Show him as a force for reconciliation, willing to go out there and take a risk and do something uh, uh, brave and generous and large-minded um, while Thingol is uh, still being angry and has not yet worked himself uh, up there yet. Um, okay, so... Uh, yeah, okay. So, are there any others? Let me let me let's let me get the Gantt chart up here. What else on the Noldor side? So we're thinking about that uh, apart from Galadriel. Um, obviously, there are going to be impacts on the other storyline. But is there any other storyline like that which absolutely is predicated upon? the secrecy or the revelation of the um of the uh the the kinslaying to them i don't think so i likewise don't see anything yeah i don't think so i mean there's gondolin right and turgon in general but Turgon in uh-huh. general is going to be, I mean, Turgon is like pretty ecumenical from the beginning, right? I mean, both Vinyamar yep. and Gondolin are going to be Sindar-Noldor crossovers. So for him, for Turgon, right, it's more, um, uh, it's more sort of general. Um, stuff, maybe stuff with Círdan? Uh Yeah, now we don't have Kierden directly involved in too much other than like finding out no. rumors, right? It's like, like just sort of doing his own thing, yeah. Yeah, well he's he's so he's like the his plot line is the plot line of the discovery, right? Really. Um so when that timing comes. Uh yeah, Nargothrond, so um uh Finrod will get will need Thingol's help. Um especially the business with Norn and the petty dwarves, right? Gets brokered by, uh, gets brokered through Doriath, right? And their relationship with Narn, with Norn and the dwarves. Um, so, okay. But Finrod is Finrod anyway, right? Um, so, even Thingol, even Thingol, when he first discovers it, like, he tells them to leave because he's mad, right? But that's more of a, like, leave before I say something. He says he's not going to ban them, right? I mean, he bans the language, but but I'm not saying he excludes them from the language ban. Um, but Thingol is not, he, it's not like he's going to discontinue diplomatic relations with Finrod at any point, right? He doesn't do that. Um, so... Uh, I agree it'd be kind of nice if we could start Nargothrond before the revelation comes, but I don't think it's crucial in the same way as the Celeborn and Galadriel plot. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony points out the estrangement of the Feanorians and the Finarfinians Right, uh, after Angrod reveals it to Thingol. Um, yes, but I don't think we have any major plot lines necessarily 
uh, hinging on that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, uh, Nick, I agree. Nick says it'd be weird if uh, Thingle went out of his way to make Finrod his next door neighbor after the Kinslaying reveal. Like a little bit, but I, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm not, I mean, obviously we'd have to address it, right? I mean, we wouldn't just like pretend it didn't happen, but I, I, I think it's possible. I, it, again, like the Galadriel and Caliborn stuff, like that plot arc will not work in the way that we want it to if it does not happen. Um, so, and we were talking about, so let's, let's, uh, where's the, okay, Galadriel and Caliborn stuff. Okay. So we've got Galadriel, uh, Celeborn sees Galadriel in episode one, right? Because he and Círdan come and they're the, they make first contact with the Noldor. So yeah, so the first time Celeborn uh, uh, and Galadriel see each other across a crowded room, right? And we get a slow motion, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> scene there. Uh, I'm kidding. But anyway, right. So, so they meet in episode one. Um, then we jump up to episode five because we were talking about them having their first real talk at the Marath Adarthad and having her uh, come to Doriath after, right? Um, okay. So we have their conversation with them happening in episode seven and then them getting engaged maybe episode 10, right? Episode eight is where we have the Marath Adarthad. Okay. Uh, and then Thingol learning about it. In that same episode, right, is what we're looking at there, yeah. And then the marriage, the wedding happening, like episode 12. That seems to me to work. Um, I think it depends. Um, did I misspeak? I meant episode 5, Ellen, with the Marathad or Thad, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Um Okay. Yeah, Nick, I agree. Doing the kinslaying after the Nargathron project begins uh, requires fewer conversations and scenes. You're right. Sold! Sold! Okay, we'll do that first. That's fine. Um, Dave, what do you think about this? Looking at So this is the shape, right? Just looking at the, 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 the dots here, right? So this one up here is when they yep. first meet, right? So we've got meeting, heart-to-heart, at the Marathadarthad confession, yep. right? Here, yep. uh, or like the, you know, the, the, the sort of more significant moment here, engagement, probably, here in episode 10, combined with Thingol finding out about this, right? Um, uh, you know, and that all kind of coming out, and then you've got wedding here in episode 12. Um, this is what feels most uncomfortable to me. This is a big gap. Yeah, what's going on in there? Where we don't see them, um, or at least where they don't do, do we, anything. How do we arrive at Celeborn sees Gladriel, then Celeborn, like, pours his heart out to her? Yeah, <laughs> so... We need, like, some courtship in the middle. Right, and... I don't know, I mean, on the one hand, the gap makes sense in that she's not... Go- we, 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 we didn't have her going to Doriath until after the Marathadarthad, right? So, um... It's the gap is certainly defensible because even like they meet for the first time and we kind of plant that seed. 
but they don't really meet again for a while. Like, it's not like we have to have a continue like them. Like first they become pen pals. Right. And, you know, and then they like, you know, go out on their first date. Like we don't have to belabor it like that or anything, but, um, uh, it is, um, it is a big gap. Um, When is Goadriel meeting Melian? Do we have more of? Uh, are there is is there more Goadriel? Am I missing other Goadriel places? Let's see. I'm not seeing Goad. Oh, Goadriel to Doriath. Okay. Goadriel to Doriath. Goadriel to Doriath starts in episode seven. Okay, so we're gonna have. So we will have a. We oh wait, there's a, also a Galadriel speaks to Celeborn at feast. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's still that's the Marathatarthad meeting. Right. That's the. Okay, that's, that's the same. Them. Oh yeah, that's the that's same, same thing, one. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping maybe that was in that was in the middle. Nope, no, it's not. That's the f- same one. Okay, so we've got. So I'm just what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put together. I'm just thinking of Goadriel's narrative alone, right? Um, so she meets Kelwar. Kelwar meets her right uh, at the very beginning, but we don't make too much of that. So really, Goadriel's story is starting at episode five. So if we think about, so we shouldn't. One way we could think about it is not to think about episodes two through four as just a big gap, really, but to think about Galadriel's arc doesn't really begin until episode five, and episode one is just kind of a teaser, right? We we, we sort of tease uh-huh. the meeting of the two of them, and then the story really begins in episode five. That kind of works. Um, that kind of works. Uh, then we have a, a sort of right after the Marathatarthad, we have a Galadriel free episode here in episode six, and then we have her headed to Doriath in episode seven. Um, let's see. Um, Ellen says, uh, "I wanted wait. I wanted uh, Galadriel to go to Doriath earlier on. I wanted did I? I must have had a reason for that." I wish I could remember what it was. Why did I want Goadriel and Doriath like in episode two or three? Was it because... Oh, yeah. She was being sent as as an initial envoy. That's why. Right, yeah. So she was being sent as an envoy of the Noldor, which should happen before the Marathatarthad, right? Because presumably, like, setting up the Marathatarthad is one of the things that ambassadors are meant to do, right? Um, Also, I want to be careful. I want to be careful... Um, yeah. Okay, right. That's what I wanted her to do. Um, and yes, Tony, that's exactly what I was thinking. I don't want Galadriel's story just to be the story of her romance with Celeborn here. Galadriel's too big of a deal to be just like, and this is when she met her man, right? Uh, like, we have to be careful about that, which is why I like the idea. Okay, it's all coming back to me now. Why I like the idea of having her step forward, because that placed the beginning of her arc, right? She was still in her ambitious mode right at the beginning before she has her crisis of conscience, um, before she, she even is really kind of ready to acknowledge her own guilt, right? She's still thinking about moving forward, right? She's still thinking about, um, uh, 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 putting herself forward, uh, you know, ruling a realm uh, of her own and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, uh, anyway, so, if we don't see Goadriel in episodes two through five, then her only plot line is her relationship with Goad- with Celeborn. And I know it's about her own conscience, right? It's about her own character growth. It's not just about Celeborn. 
but he's the vehicle of that, right? Um, and I think that we need to make sure that we set her story up as being more than that. So if we send her to Doriath, she doesn't have to uh, be connected with Celeborn right away. She can meet Celeborn. It's fine. Like, I, I was joking, of course, about the, like, slow motion shot across the room. I don't think they have to be like love at first sight, or at least she doesn't. Maybe he does, right? Maybe he sees her and is smitten from the beginning. And maybe we can show that, right? When she comes, if we, if we have her coming to Doriath here somewhere in episode two or three, right? We have her coming to Doriath. Uh, um, let's see what's going on here among the Nold, the rest of the Noldor. We've got, Oh, glad you're going to Doriath. There it is. Look, it's present. Excellent. Nice. I like that. Okay. Um, because we have Mithros, seating the crown and Fingolfin declared the high king that needs to happen first, right? She needs to go as like an emissary of the high king, right? So she would get packed off. To, she could leave for Doriath maybe here in episode two and arrives in episode three. I don't know. Um, but uh, I know that we had Angrod going to Doriath and everything, which is fine, but does he need to arrive here? Maybe we can bring him in here. Um, because what, as I recall, the story that I was proposing there was um, uh, okay. The story that I'm proposed that I was proposing there is that she is all gung ho about being the ambassador. Then she comes and she meets Melian, and that's when she has her crisis of con- of conscience, right? When she looks into Melian's eyes, and she and Melian, you know, like they like exchange a glance and, you know, they, they, they're gaze into each other's eyes and then like Galadriel's heart is tested by Melian and she finds and sees her own weaknesses. Right. Like, you know, that's kind of where she learns that trick. And then she has her crisis of conscience. And so she doesn't really serve. So Angrod comes as like the backup ambassador because she basically withdraws at that point. Um, Galadriel does. She's no longer putting herself forward. And so Angrod is like the auxiliary backup ambassador um, when uh, when that happens. Uh, so um, yeah, okay. So Marie says we need to get Angrod there before the Noldor choose their realms because he's getting permission from Thingol. Especially the Feanorians asking for forgiveness rather than permission when it comes to setting up their realms, right? Um, uh, Definitely. He brings, yes, he brings Thingol's permission. But again, it's, it's like sort of... I don't see even Fingolfin waiting to set up his realm in, you know, in Mithrim until he hears back from Thingol. Like, it's not happening. How would that happen? Why would that happen? What's he going to do? Right? What's he going to do? Even Fingolfin, right? He wants to communicate with Thingol. He wants to, he wants to work with Thingol. But is he, does he recognize, does he acknowledge Thingol's, like, rule sovereignty over all of Beleriand. I don't even think even Fing, I don't think even Fingolfin thinks that way. Um, so I think we got to be careful there. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the Feanorians are openly scornful. They're the ones who are openly scornful of his permission, right? He, he, he does but give us, you know, lands where his power does not extend. Um, I think there are a couple ways that we can play this, right? And to me, the whole permission thing, right, the issue with the permission thing, it is like a litmus test of, like, who's willing to collaborate, right? Who is where as far as the uh, um, reconciliation and unification of the elves are concerned, right? It tells us something about the Feanorians. It tells us something about Fingolfin. It tells us something about Thingol, right? I think it tells us something bad about Thingol, right? If Thingol's like, well, you have to get my permission before you can, you know, set up a leaguer around Angband, right? Okay, like that to me, that's a bad sign. This is foreshadowing of what's gonna be coming, right? Um, uh, let me ask you a question. Those of you who want Fingolfin to ask permission, if if Thingol denies it, what's he gonna do? What's his plan? What's plan B? If Thingol says no, I deny you permission to set up a kingdom up there in the north where my power does not extend uh, uh, and uh, 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 building fortresses to keep the, the power of Angband uh, at bay. No, you can't do that. What does Fingolfin do? Walk back? Pick up and go back to the Helcaraxa? Head out, you know, travel out, out of Beleriand over the, over the Misty Mountains and say, well, we're kind of hoping to oppose uh, Morgoth, but guess we can't. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, 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 I'm asking explicitly... Um, what, what's the plan exactly? Remember, this comes back to some of the discussions we had before about kingship and what kingship means, right? In particular, what kind of authority the high king has over the rest of them, right? And I, I don't think it is sovereignty. I, that just doesn't make sense to me. And we, again, we talked about this before. The High King is their leader in battle, but they have autonomy, right? He's not the boss of them, I don't think. Um, he is... He, yes, he does go to Thingol. And what does that show? Why does he go to Thingol? Because he wants to... This is a political move. He wants to establish good relations with Thingol. He wants to work with Thingol and show Thingol that he wants to work with him, Right? Um, but, um, uh, yeah, anyway, um, what the issue is, is who is willing to work with whom and to what extent. Fingolfin really wants to work with Thingol, right? But I think that we need to make this an individual thing. This is our opportunity to show the flavor of the individual kingdoms and the attitudes of the individual leaders, right? It's not about Fingolfin as overlord of the Noldor working out something with Fingol, right? This is about Turgon, right? What's his attitude towards the Sindar? Finrod, what's his attitude towards the Sindar? Mithros, what's his attitude towards the Sindar, right? Um, Fingolfin, what's his attitude towards the Sindar and his willingness to work with them? But what I'm saying is I'm not seeing the need for permission. 
We need to get Angrod down there. Yeah. Okay, we do need to get Angrod down there. Does Angrod have to be the one who conveys that message? We sent Goadriel down there in episode two. Isn't that the message she's going to be charged with? If she goes down as ambassador in episode two, right? She goes down from Fingolfin, right? Clearly, her charge as ambassador is going to be, we want you to work on... Um. Uh, we want you to work on uh, 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 um, relationships with the Sindar, right? We want you to convey the fact that we really want to work with them. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Brian, you're right. The same principle applies when thinking about the ban on Quenya. It's not something Thingol can actually enforce it's accepted as a way to foster good relations. Absolutely. And we need to show that, right? It's, uh, Brian, the ban is another litmus test, right? It's, a, you know, how they act when they arrive and how they relate themselves to the Sindar as they're establishing their realms is, a, is an indicator of what their attitudes are, right? How they respond to the ban is another uh, uh, reflection of what their attitudes are, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, Angrod has an important role, right? Um, but if you think about it, the importance of Angrod's role comes not with what he says in Doriath, but what he says back among the Noldor, Right? I agree that the fight between Angrod and Karinthir needs to happen. But, again, we don't even have to show him talking to Thingol, necessarily, right? I'd be fine, for instance. Um, like, we need to know that he's there. But we've already established the idea of the embassy to Thingol, right? And that desire to... We can have Goadriel in episode two, if we want. Right? We can have Goadriel in episode two, or maybe in episode three. Um, uh... I would kind of want to extend this over this way, right? Uh, to say, because if if Fingolfin's going to be declared the High King here, right, we're still sorting out, Mytheros has just been rescued, we're still sorting out, um, what happens in episode one, by the way? Um, we're having Mytheros, we're having Kierden meeting folks, which There's means, camping. There's camping, there's a bunch of camping, there's some, there's the rescue, of course. Caliborn sees Galadriel. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, the reforging of Ringgill. Okay, that's kind of yep. cool. And that's it. We don't have much happening in episode one, actually. That's interesting. Nope. Um, so the question to me then is whether or not the Fingolfin thing happens in... If episode one, well, we'll worry about that when we get to episode one. Let me, let me focus on Galadriel here. Yeah, come so, on, man. So, again, like, notice what I'm doing here is not changing the overall plot. Okay, what I'm, what I'm thinking about is what scenes are necessary. You know, uh, Nick, I'm thinking about your issues about scene economy, right? And um, Galadriel... Things have to be settled a little bit, 
right? Things have to get shaken out among the Noldor before somebody goes to the Sindar to represent them, right? And try to uh, build relationship with them. So Mithros has to come back. Fingolfin has to be crowned High King. Then Goadriel can leave for Doriath, right? So either an episode, depending on when the crowning happens, depending on when the leadership issue among the Noldor happens, do we get that by the end of episode one? Do we get that in episode two? Not quite sure, but as soon as it's done, so either at the end or the beginning of episode two, we can send Galadriel off to Doriath. And then either in episode three or in episode two, depending on when the other thing happens, she's in Doriath. And when she gets to Doriath, she delivers her message, right? She goes before Thingol and she's like, hi, I'm, you know, from the Noldor. Uh, we're your friends and distant kinsmen and we are here and we'd like to be, you know, we'd, we'd like to, and so she can do the whole thing, right? You know, we would like to establish, um, you know, our plan is to, is to, uh, you know, beleaguer, uh, uh, Angband, right? But we'd also like to, you know, like, would you, would you really mind if we settled out over here in Nevrast, right? If we did these other things and, uh, and, you know, so she delivers that message, right? She delivers that message. Then she sees Melian. And then she has her crisis moment, right? And we can see her later on being really shaken, right? So she's, we can, all we need then, so the, the message has been delivered. Angrod doesn't need to deliver that to Thingol. We don't need to show Angrod and Thingol doing it. What we do need to show is Angrod showing up. We could show a conversation between Angrod and, and Goadriel as a way to move Goadriel's story forward, right? So Angrod comes. And Angron's like, uh, hey, yo, uh, sis, uh, haven't heard back from you, right? Came here with the embassy. How's it going? And she's like, yes, well, okay, here's the story, but I'm, like, having a crisis of con- conscience, so I don't want to talk about it right now. And he's like, oh, uh, okay, so shall I then take the message back? And she's like, yeah, you you go do that, right? Um Done, right? Done with Angrod. We only need one short scene with Angrod. Now we can bring Angrod back among the Noldor, and he's fine, right? We continue on with this, the, his role in the story, Um so, see, that's, uh, that's pretty easy, right? Um, exactly, Marie. The effect is to shift the screen time to Galadriel because she is a really important character development story, right, in this, uh, uh, in this season. And I think that that would work really well. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, exactly. That's, um, um, yeah. Um, so no, but I, I don't think she needs to go back to Mithrim. She could, but I don't think she does. I think she could stay, uh, in Doriath. Um, I think maybe she stays in to talk to Melian. Um, uh, and we, and th- this is where her, uh, her, her kind of mentorship under Melian begins. Um, and her, cause also remember the scene where she talks to Melian, but does not reveal the kinslaying. Right. I'd kind of like to do that. And I'd kind of like to do that before the Marathat or that. Right. To get that conversation between Melian and Goadriel where we can see her being closed. Right. Her not wanting. And we, we work that into the story of her own crisis of conscience. Right. Melian sees that she's bothered. Melian knows that there's something wrong. Not just wrong with the Noldor, but wrong with her. Right. Um, and that and she, Melian, can recognize that Goadriel doesn't want to talk and she doesn't push. Right. She is, even though she has a sense that it's important and tells Thingol so, she doesn't push Goadriel. The fact that Goadriel, we, we show Goadriel not telling Melian makes it a much bigger deal when she does tell Caliborn. Right. Um, which I think is really is really cool. Um, I uh, I don't. Um, 
Ellen, I'm not really sure what you're upset about. I don't understand why Goadriel going back to Mithrim is so important. What does she What does she have to do there? What job does she have in Mithrim? Being out of sorts. We can. Sh why can't we be show her being out of sorts in Doria? What does it change? I mean, I'm not even seeing any other reference to her here in the chart. What? What? I. I, I mean, I'm serious. I'm asking. I don't. I don't understand. What's the, What's the issue there with that? Um. Um. I'm fine with her meeting Celeborn before the Marathad or Thad, Ellen. It doesn't. It's again. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, again, it's not a love at first sight thing. He can be around. I kind of like the idea of like him noticing her, but she she's not you know she's not like immediately into him. Um, I think it's important that it's. Uh, um, I uh, I think that it's important that sh it, this is not just a dopey love story, right? That their their relationship has more substance than that. So like it's fine for them to be acquainted. The important thing that happens at Marathatarthad is they have their first serious conversation. It's the first time she really kind of takes notice of him and the two of them really kind of connect for the first time. They can, I mean, I don't know. It's happened to me before. How many times have you known somebody for years and then connected with them for the first time, right? Especially since we're showing her beings, you know, preoccupied. Um, so uh, um, we can... I mean, I'm open to the idea of moving her if we need to move her. I mean, if she if she has to be somewhere. Um, but again, if she doesn't have a job there, I don't see why we need to move her. I really don't. Um, uh, is there something she needs to accomplish? Is there something that will be accomplished by her being there? If not, why? Um, uh, but, yeah. Anyway, so let me... Uh, let's, let's keep working this. So we're talking about the gladrill Caliborn plot... Right, so the kinslaying thing. So let's get back to the bigger question. So their relationship, right, seriously begins at the Merith Adarthad, but she doesn't make her full confession. When do we have the full confession? Let me go back down to the uh, Caliborn and Goadriel stuff. Right, okay, so we have episode seven. All right. So we've got a one episode gap there. They've just met and talked. And then we come back to them again after another episode has passed. That's all right. Um, that's all right. Gradual tells Caliborn of the Kinslaying. And then they get engaged. After two more episodes have passed. Well, if episode eight is the battle, there's going to be lots happening there. And, and you know, no one is going to be shocked by that. Uh, okay. Okay, so this would mean this gives us, this outline here gives us the truth can't leak out until after episode eight. That means that it is impossible to use the Dagor Aglareb as a reconciliation moment, which I think we should. I think we should be doing that. I think that we should be having um I think that we should be having the um the kinslaying reveal happen before the battle. If we're gonna keep the battle in episode eight, then we're gonna need to reveal it in six or seven. Uh Kyrdan and Thingol are gonna be doing their thing. I the ban has to be you know, the ban of Quenya has to happen by episode eight at the dead latest. Episode six would be better. Uh, 
so that we can have some reactions to the ban before we move on to the battle. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Nick also points out we do want to be careful about having characters near instantaneously hopping around the map. It's true. We do want to avoid the bunny sled effect. I know that time is going to be passing, but it still will create a kind of bunny sled. Of, and I trust you all know what I mean by the bunny sled effect. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, no, that is an issue that we want to be careful of. Um, also, also affectionately known as the uh, Game of Thrones later seasons problem. <laughs> <clears throat> right, right. Um, yeah. Okay, so, all right. Again, if we keep the the battle in episode eight, which, as I said at the beginning, I want to consider the possibility of maybe moving that a little bit later. But if we keep it at episode eight. I think the ban needs to happen in episode six. I think it does. We can solve the issue here with a Galadriel and Kelborn um, storyline very simply. And that is have her make her confession to him at the Marathatarthat. Again, that's, it, that's not their meeting. It's not when they meet for the first time, right? If she's been in Doriath, they've met, right? We can even show them, like, exchanging, like, they can be in the same scenes, right? They know each other. We know that they know each other. This is the moment when they have their first one-on-one conversation, when he comes across her and she's really upset and she confesses, right? Um, and she confides in him. So I'm, 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 I'm willing to go there in episode five. Um, and that would fit, of course, with the whole Merith Adderthad reuniting theme. Right. That Galadriel and Celeborn, they're not engaged yet. Right. They're not they, they haven't changed their Facebook statuses, but they are um, they, they, they they're real. The kind of the heart of their of their reunion or their their union. Right. Happens there at the Marathatathad. That kind of works to me. Right. I think we can. And that makes things easier. Um, Hakan says it's good to have more dramatic material uh, in the Marath episode. I agree. I agree. Um, so. So, yeah. So. If 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 we just collapse these two, then that gives us so much more time. Now we have episode six and seven open for the ban, right? Because if she confesses the kinslaying to Celeborn in episode five, and then Thingol finds out about it in episode six, no harm done, right? We just have to have the because we can suggest we can we can do things to show that time is passing there, and that's okay. Um, uh, so uh, that's all right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, sure. Yeah, and again, we can show the, this is the fact that this is episode five and that she's been in Doriath since at least episode three, maybe episode two, right? This gives us a bunch of chances to show that they're already familiar, right? When he approaches her at the Marath Adderthad, that would that puts us in place to be able to say um, that they're friends, right? They're already acquainted. This is not a... Uh, you know, he's not coming up with like a, a you know, a barstool pickup line, right, at the Marath Adderthad. Um They're friends, right? He's approaching her as a friend and offering to talk as a friend. And again, we've established their connection. I think that that works. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Ellen, I agree. We do have the issue of the discovery of the kinslaying by the spies. Um, but again, this is where... The Dagor Aglarab in episode eight is sort of troubling me, 
right? Because this all has to happen. Uh, because Sauron's discovery... Hang on, let's go down to Sauron here. Down to Sauron, bad guys. Okay. Um, Sauron needs to start spreading rumors before Thingol knows about it, right? And no, I mean, you know, the horse has left the barn by the time <laughs> the band comes out, right? <laughs> so Sauron needs to discover the truth. Um, now, to me, there's a really interesting kind of balance, right? If, remember, we had Sauron and Thuring Gwethel there spying at the, uh, the Marathadathad. We wanted them present at the Marathadathad. So... It's kind of a fun, dramatic balance, I think. If at the Marathadrathad, Galadriel is confessing the kinslaying to Celeborn, and um, uh, and Sauron is discovering it also, right through his spy. Like he, you know, maybe that's where he latches on to uh, uh, Enil. I think, um, perhaps, right. And uh, he decides to use Anile. Um, yeah. So, but but you're right. Then we need uh, we need time for rumors. So the Thingol can't happen in episode six, and Thingol's discovery can't happen until episode seven. Because at the very least, we need discovery here, right? Discovery of in episode five of the truth of the Kinslaying, spreading rumors about the Kinslaying in episode six, and that would be Anile here helping to spread rumors right and then episode seven would be thingle discovers the truth and then episode eight oh man there's just not enough time just not enough time there i'm really grudging my two episodes here i want a third because if we had a third then there'd be more time to be able to set up the battle i'm leaning more and more towards wanting to push the battle back um but let me not rashly do that before I fur- we further investigate what's supposed to be happening in 9 through 12. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Tentatively, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about pushing it back. If the battle happens in 9, then we've got time, right? Sauron discovers episode 5. Rumors go around episode 6. Uh, episode 6, near the end of episode 6, Kyrdin learns the truth, Right? Episode seven, Thingol learns the ban, right? Ban on Quenya. Episode eight, reactions to the ban, uh, determination to, um, determination to, uh, uh, to, to reconcile anyway, to try to patch this up. And then of course the battle comes and we have this opportunity for reconciliation and working together, um, which of course not everyone is going to avail themselves of. Um, If that then happens in episode nine, that sequence is kind of, bear but it works Hakon says it affects the dragon process well we'll come back to the dragon process the dragon process uh, I am unwilling I agree that the dragon process is important I am unwilling to I think that this process is far more important than the dragon process I would rather have I'm not saying that I want this but I'm saying I would rather if I had to choose between having Glaurung being a, an, an ex-Nihilo reveal at the end of the season, and I understand the arguments against that, I would still choose that rather than choose losing the whole kinslaying discovery drama, right? I mean, that's central to the whole theme of the season. The discovery of Glaurung is a sideshow compared to, compared to that, right? 
Um, so I think yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I, the glowering, glowering is not central. It's important to do this, and I'm okay doing a dragon process, but I am absolutely not okay subordinating the Noldor Sindor narrative to the dragon process. So definitely, definitely. Oh, and sorry, uh, uh, Ingvarha on. Um, the Twitch chat. So it's not Discord that we're using for this. Unlike uh, Exploring the Lord of the Rings, uh, we're using uh, GoToWebinar. So if you go to Mythgard.org, you can find the registration link for the webinar and join us right away. Mythgard.org on the Silm Film page should be the link for our GoToWebinar uh, session. So you can join us down here. That's where I'm interacting. But, but I, I do see you guys up there. But um, uh, uh, but yeah, where I'm interacting with people more is in the GoToWebinar session. Okay. Um, yeah, no, how can I agree? It's not a one or the other issue. But what I'm saying is, again, if if the moving of the battle compresses the dragon story, I'd rather compress the dragon story than compress the Noldor Sindar story. So uh, I, anyway, that's all. That's all. Um, okay. So, uh, good. Um, all right. Uh, so... Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the other thing here. Hang on. Okay. Back to our issues for debate. Okay. Will the catch and release project be ongoing into season five or must all four named elves be made captive and escape if that is their fate in this season? Good question. Well, will there still be elves being captured as we move forward? Yeah, sure. I mean, eventually we're going to get Gwyndor, right, in the Turin story. So we know that that's going to be an ongoing thing on the one hand. I think we want to... The storylines that we talked about of people being introduced need to happen. I think all of those need to happen in this season. We want to show Anio, and I'm already forgetting her name, the... uh, I'm blanking. Sorry. As usual on Friday morning, I'm terribly sleep-deprived. Um... The, the the person who the 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 traitor Eldolate, thank you, Marie. Um the uh Anil and Eldolate, yeah, those happen here, right? I think all four of the ones that we were talking about happen here in this season. Um we can choose to make it happen later on, but I don't think we need to delay any of those. Well Rog, if Rog is gonna catch an escape, right, he's got he he's gotta get to Gondolin right before the doors are closed. So um so that needs to happen. Um, uh, we could choose to reveal, um, uh, uh, we can choose to reveal the treachery of Unisle in season five. That's okay. I, yeah, I, I, I don't see any horribly pressing. Re- I mean, it needs to happen now, but I don't know any horribly pressing reason to put it now. I don't know any. Uh, at the same time, I don't know any particularly good reason to put it off either. Like, is he going to have more jobs as a spy later on? Do we, are we going to want him as a spy? Um, oh, Ellen Roggs was going to be in Mithrim with Fingon until the near Nith or Noidiad, and then he was going to go back to Nargoth, uh, to Gondolin. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's fine. As long as we, as long as we have a means of getting him into Gondolin, he's got to be in Gondolin, right, in order to die magnificently in the fall. So that's fine. As long as that's, that's his, his main job, right? Rog's main jo- job is to die awesomely in the fall of Gondolin, right? And as long as he's around to do that job, 
that's all that's all good um uh yeah uh okay okay um so yeah Well, see, we do need some suspicion of people released from, like, that storyline of the elves looking askance at folks who return from Angban, that seems to me that that could happen now. If you guys really want to save that story for season five, I don't, I'm fine with that. I mean, again, goodness knows we've got enough to do in this season, right? Um, so if you'd rather just kind of hold on to that and make that be part of a season five story, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have, uh, Ethelos's treasure, treachery revealed this season and Anil's treachery revealed next season. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Perfectly fine. No problems. Um, now, by the way, I still don't think that some of the el- that that the people become suspicious of people who come back from uh angband does not necessarily mean that no elf who is can be accepted by anybody right again like it becomes just it just becomes part of the story and becomes another opportunity for like forgiveness and reconciliation and you know and those things being messed up and interfered with by the bad guys right um, so I certainly think that in the future, you know, episode or not episode season five, season eight, you know, whenever these other things are happening, season, whoever, whenever Turin is, there will be some people who will be willing to accept. I think that there should be a bunch of people in Nargothrond who are super suspicious of Gwyndor, right? In fact, I think that that should be a big part of why people listen to Turin and not Gwyndor because people are like, oh yeah, whatever. We're not listening to him. Right. Uh, because he came back at Angband and we all know, like, you know, what Morgoth does to them. Right. Um, that dude has spell, the you know, spell of bottomless dread written all over him. Right. Whereas, again, some people accept him. Right. And Turin, of course, will be fighting for him. Right. Like, no, like Gwyndor's all good and everything. He just happens to be wrong. Whatever. Um, so the point is. It's going to be a story. Right. Are, are, you know, who is going to accept them? Who's not going to accept them? Who is right to accept? Who's wrong to accept? It's all going to be a confused mess, right? And that's, again, part of the fun of all that. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, people can, uh, 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 so, yeah, Rog can be accepted. Yeah, sure, Ellen, absolutely, it can be accepted. But um, does that mean that 100% of people have to accept Rog? I don't think so. It just means that, like, there can be people who doubt him. Right. I mean, heck, we, when we're doing Gondolin, we can have Myglin be like spreading rumors about Rog. Right. He could try to use Rog as a patsy for all we know. Right. When people start getting suspicious and like, you know, people think, you know, he, he can we can have Myglin starting a whispering campaign, throwing doubt upon Rog because he was a prisoner in Angband. Right. And it's not true. And Turgon doesn't believe it. And Tuor doesn't believe it. Nidril doesn't believe it. But, you know. Like, again, like, it's a fun dynamic, right, that we can use uh, in lots of um, in lots of different ways. Um, uh, yeah. No, Ellen, I am. I am understanding your point. I'm just disagreeing with it. I don't think I think you're not uh, listening to my point that there's there's no rule that no escaped captives shall be accepted. I'm totally anti rule. There will not be a law 
Uh, again, I'm anti-law in general, as, as you know. I don't think it's how the Noldor work. And I think that there will always be some Noldor who are more willing to accept than others. And there are some of them, there are some of the Noldor who are willing to accept the escapees from Angband who are going to generously accept them back. And they're going to be wrong. And they're going to be betrayed by those people, by those elves who come back. There are some elves who are going to be unwilling to accept anybody from Angband. And some of them are going to be wrong about that, right? Um, it's not going to be ever going to be a cut and dried thing. Um, but um, that yeah. sounds like a realistic and complicated story. Exactly. Exactly. So, so there will be no rule and we will have, again, like Rog is going to be accepted. Rog is, is going to be, ex- but it's still going to be on his resume. Right. And I like it being on his resume. You know, I like that because it gives somebody like Miglin, right, when you get somebody who is uh, beginning to scheme in unscrupulous ways, it gives them it gives them something to work with. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, we can this, as I say, this is going to be an issue and we can come back with this down the road. This storyline is brand new. Right. So in season four, the only thing that we really need to establish is that it's happening and to show how it is going to work. Like the way that this is a success by Sauron. Right. Um, this is a this is a plan that works. So if, uh, you know, Sauron's big contribution to the strategy here in season four is the catch and release program and it bears fruit. Right. Doesn't all pan out in exactly the way that he wants to. But this is this is this is moving in a in a in a in a, in a fruitful direction as far as the bad guys are concerned. Right. Um, uh, the battle less so. Right. Um, OK. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the whole issue of how people respond to, like, future people who, like, that's totally a future season thing. Like, we're going to build up to that. We don't, we're not even doing that. I mean, most of that stuff that I was just talking about, I'm looking down the road, right, at where this story is going to be going and how people are going to be responding. We don't have time in this season to deal with most of that stuff. Establishing that there are traitors, that this is, uh, you know, planting the seed of this story, of this issue. Right. Um, is what we're doing in this season. I don't think we we plan to accomplish anything other than that. Um, but. Uh, uh, OK. Yeah. So. That's fine. All right. When do Targon and Finrod experience Olmo's dream? That is a wonderful, wonderful question. Um, can Finrod build Minas Tirith before Nargothron so he has time to live there and make it his island? Whew. OK. I need the chart again. I agree for um, for Sauron-related reasons, right? We need to associate Finrod with Minas Tirith so that when Sauron takes it over and then Finrod comes and dies there, that means something, right? I got to tell you, it's going to be hard to do too much of that because we just don't have much time. I mean... In the best case scenario, as far as I can see, uh, in the so sorry, quick thing, guys on the Twitch chat, I said we are not using Discord, not using Discord for this broadcast. Doesn't happen. Stop looking. Go to MythGuard.org, the film film page. There will be a go to webinar link. That's where we are. Okay, sorry. Just wanted to clarify because people are looking and confused. Um, honestly, I can't see how we can do more than like it seems like the maximum that we could give Finrod uh, at Minas Tirith is like one or two episodes. Right. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be. Um, and that's, that's all we're going to get, and we'll have to do the best we can with that. So, <clears throat> so let's think about the dream here. First, as I recall, the vision from Olmo that Finrod and Turgon get is one of the earliest things we talked about when we started season four. Um, that means I've forgotten almost everything we said about it. So somebody remind me, what's the story there? <clears throat> I remember that we did fit the building of Nargothrond and the building of Gondolin separately into the whole forgiveness reconciliation theme, right? We were, th- I, th- this is what I'm remembering. And I'm, tr- but I'm trying to remember how I don't quite remember how, so I need help. Um, we were they were going in different ways so the idea of gondolin that turgon is imagining gondolin as a sort of haven right Turgon's story begins, I mean, always this bit of his story, begins in Vinyamar with the most ecumenical kingdom of the Noldor, right? So there's a lot of Sindar living with him there in Vinyamar, in Nevrast. And then they move to Gondolin, and there's still a bunch of Sindar there as well. Um, so he is clearly a... Uh, force for reconciliation in that like there's Sindar living with him. Finrod Finrod is in a more kind of explicitly um, reconciliational um, position, right? Um, because uh, just by, by his position, like as one of the, like the, the, chief spokesperson, right, of the children of Finarfin, right? Um, he's there, and so he's connected a close kinsman to Thingol, right? But he's also one of the Noldor um, who has been reconciled with the rest of the Noldor, even the Feanorians, mostly. Um, so him by position, as we see by the, you know, the children of Finarfin being in and out of Doriath all the time, he is in a really good place to be doing that. Um uh, Turgon's embracing of the Sindar is therefore slightly different in quality. We can see a bunch of Sindar joining Finrod. We can see Thingol agreeing to work with Finrod as a joining of the two families. Right? Again, he is both. Uh, you know, he is he is both um, uh, uh, Finrod is both related to the Sindar and he's related to the Noldor. Uh, Turgon, um, on the one hand, is, in, in, if you follow what I mean, going more out of his way to reconcile, right? 
because the Sindar aren't just going to gravitate to him like they might gravitate to Finrod, because it, they, you know they, they they're connected to Finrod. They're not connected to Turgon. So when the fact that Turgon opens his doors and um, Tony, exactly as you're asking, that Sindar come, and we do need to think about that. Why do the Sindar go? Right? Why do the Sindar live, go to live in Nevrast? Why why do they accept Turgon? What is it about Turgon and his vision that? you know, for, for his kingdom that draws the Sindar to him, um, or, you know, uh, uh, leads them to stay. Uh, we got to sort that out. But anyway, so he, so therefore from this shape, I'm kind of, uh, uh, blundering my way through here. It would seem to make sense that Turgon has a more sort of positive vision. Like he is setting out to reconcile. It's part of his mission statement, right? Um, Come, all ye Sindar, you are welcome here. Let us form a community together. Whereas with Finrod, it just kind of happens, right? He's like, hey, I'm here. All my friends and relations can come, right? So he's like, you know, like uh, uh, like uh, Rabbit in Winnie the Pooh with all of his friends and relations, um, some of which are Sindar and some of which are Noldor. So it's in that sense a little bit more sort of a little bit more accidental. I mean, I agree that he's not doing it accidentally. It's not that he's not thinking about it, but it's the point that I'm trying to get to is that it's sort of a bigger deal for Turgon. But the thing, as Brian, as you're saying here, um, there is a sense in which Turgon's ultimate actions would seem to work against overall reconciliation by isolating himself, right? Um, so he isolates himself within Gondolin, and now he's no longer part of the team, right? He's no longer contributing to the Leaguer of Angband, right? Um, so... On the one hand, he is a force for, you know, elvish reconciliation, but he's not part of the bigger picture of let's all work together. So we need to kind of work out his path there. Finrod remains more let's work together all the way through, right? Um, So I think that we can show Finrod taking advantage of his opportunity, uh, his position, right, as sort of standing between the two peoples to say... Let's do this, and we can have him, therefore, approaching the building of Nargothrond. So one of the things that I'm trying to work out here is, what's different about them? The building of Gondolin and the building of Nargothrond. What's different about them? There's, there's a, they, they, they have a lot in common, but we, obviously we don't want them just to be duplicates, right? Uh, and there's a, lot of this, there's a lot of similarities that we need to sort of tease out the distinctions of, or else it's going to look redundant. It's not just redundant. Right. It can't be just redundant. And I don't think it is or should be. So um, what do we. uh, What's the main difference? The number one difference, the number one most visible is the isolationism of Gondolin. Right. Nargothrond is secret, but it's not isolationist. Right. He leaves. Finrod goes. Finrod is still about Nargothrond is still a kingdom. Right. The place Nargothrond itself is secret. And. uh, yeah, so the exact location of Nargothrond, it's, it's still a secret stronghold, but it's not a secret kingdom, right? Folks know where Nargothrond, they know, they know what part of Beleriand to go to if you're looking for Nargothrond. They don't know where the place is, right? It's, it's, it's a secret stronghold, but his kingdom concept isn't secret, right? Um, yeah, exactly. It's not isolated. So, um, yeah. So we make, therefore, Nargothrond a more public project. Um, and the open collaboration, as we talked before, between Fingen, or Finrod rather, and Thingol, um, 
act of collaboration in which the dwarves get brought in as well, right? Um, leading to, unbeknownst to Finrod, the kicking out of the petty dwarves. Um, yeah, exactly, Nick. The citizens of Nevrast basically just disappear overnight and no one really knows where they went. Yes, exactly. So, therefore, can we tease out what is the difference in quality between Turgon's commitment to reconcile, or Turgon's vision for reconciliation, and Finrod's vision for reconciliation? Finrod is more of an alliance maker, right? He's thinking in a more kind of geopolitical sense of the alliances and all the elves working together across Beleriand, and he's working for that, whereas Turgon is not working for that, right? Turgon is working for preservation, right? Yeah, Brian says Finrod can be actively inviting people to come live with him in Nargothron, while Turgon just makes takes the people who are already with him and doesn't invite anyone else. Yeah, exactly. See, like, so, like, the 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 way I'm imagining Nargothron, especially in these early days, right? Going to Nargothron, like going into Nargothron, would be kind of like going into Heneth Anum, right? In the two towers, like if you're a stranger and coming, and we're not going to show you the way, you know, like once you're one of them and you like swear oaths, you probably have to swear some kind of oath or something, right? Or anyway, you then you're allowed to know the way in, but most people don't know the way in, right? We can even have them blindfold, you know, people be led blindfold to Nargothron, right? As a way both to, um, um, to foreshadow, uh, uh, you know, the entrance into Hennethanum, but also, of course, the entrance into Lothlorien, right? So this idea of crossing the border secretly, right? Um, uh, yeah, so, the, like, so again, like in Hennethanum, right, the fact that there are, you know, uh, Gondorian soldiers in Athelion, not a secret, right? Exactly where their hideout is and how you would approach it is a secret, and that's the way it is with Nargothrond, right? Okay, so Nargothrond, the existence of Nargothrond is an open secret, the existence of Gondolin is completely mysterious and nobody knows. Not even his siblings know, right? Turgon's reaction to Olmo's vision has to be extreme in this way. He sees, and he's got to have a reason. It can't just be a tendency towards Iceland. We can't just have Turgon be like a misanthropist, right? Who's like, uh, you know, well, whatever. I hate people. Don't do. Do you all hate people too? Let's all go away and hide from everybody and not tell anyone where we've gone and never find out what happens to anyone and just live by ourselves forever. How does that sound to everybody? Like that can't be the way it goes down, right? It has to be. Um, it has to be. There has to be a reason, right? Because it's a radical step that they take. Let's everybody pick up and move, and nobody else knows what happens. Um, Yeah, and okay, Nick is right. Finrod doesn't require the allegiance of his citizens. Turgon does. Yeah, no, when I was thinking of swearing oaths, I only meant, like, before you get to actually know, like, who actually can know the way to Nargothron, right? Who doesn't get blindfolded on the way in, was all. Um, but, um, yeah, Tony, I agree. Turgon, um, th- t- Tony, that's a wonderful analogy. I really love that analogy. Uh, Turgon sees Gondolin as something 
uh, something equivalent to Noah's Ark. That's a great analogy. I love that analogy. He's trying to preserve things, right? And so he's preserving everything. Like bringing the Noldor and the Sindar together is kind of like taking two of each kind of animal right into the Ark with him. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I um, I like that, right? Um, and then, yes, then later on, Olmo is going to tell him to leave the boat and he's not and he's going to go down with the ship, right? Um yeah, yeah, I think that, Tony, I think that's a really, really wonderful way to think about it. That's got to be, something like that has to be Turgon's vision, right? He he knows Gondolin, this vision that was revealed to him by Olmo, this is important because it is going to be the last stronghold. Like, this is going to be, you know, if uh, Karen Amroth, according to Aragorn, is the heart of Elvendom on Earth, which is a debatable statement, I think. But anyway, I, I, I get why Aragorn thinks that. Um, I, if that's the heart of Elvendom on Earth, Turgon thinks of Gondolin as this is the, this is the, 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 the preserved. Elvendom on Earth is being preserved here, right? If everything else falls into shadow, we have Gondolin so that the memory of Valinor will never die in Middle-earth. And so he makes the two trees, right? The, 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 the faux trees, right, that he erects. Um, yeah. Ellen, that's a really great way to think about it. Finrod wants to protect and Turgon wants to preserve. Yeah. Yeah, that works. That works. Um, both of them uh, sort of see that, like, when they receive their visions, they both are receiving, um, you know, this sort of injunction to create a strong place, a strong secret place. Finrod sees it as a strong and secret, you know, through secrecy, strong through secrecy, Right but strong as part of the ring of things. Uh, you know, it's, it's an active part of the, uh, of the leaguer, right? Turgon sees it as an escape from that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Uh, so, and, so in that way, both of them are... So now, now, hang on. So let's think about Turgon then in, in Nevrast. Turgon in Nevrast doesn't yet know. So remember we were having Turgon have these, he was like this sort of semi-prophetic sort of priestly kind of figure uh, way back in Araman, right? We were, we were putting Turgon in that mode. He was the one who was like having forebodings of the future, right? When he establishes Nevrast, he can have forebodings of the future, right? He starts opening himself to like actively recruiting Sindar, right? He, he, more than any of the other non-Finarfin Noldor, he sees the importance of joining with the Sindar. He, but he doesn't quite know why yet, right? He just has a sense that he should be doing this, right? That this is really important. So he will be a strong voice for reconciliation. But his voice for reconciliation is non-pragmatic, right? Fingolfin and even Mithros are like, we need to work together with the Sindar because, you know, like, we need to have, we need to maximize our, our forces against Morgoth up there. Right, We're, we our odds are best in in survival and succeed and success if we all work together. Right, so there are some people who are arguing for reconciliation, but it has that pragmatic edge to it. Right, um, especially pragmatic, I think, from Mithros and the Feanorians who care at all. Um, the um, the the um, yeah, so um, the. Then you've got 
Turgon, who is an who is speaking for reconciliation without purpose, like without explicit, like just because it is right, because it should happen. Um, and he begins to do it, even though he doesn't fully understand what's right um, or why it's right. Exactly. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, uh, and sure, I'm willing to have a certain amount of tension between Turgon and the Feanorians, right? And have there be a little bit of irony of him being actively seeking reconciliation with the Sindar, but still being uncomfortable with the Feanorians. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, Ellen, there, there are definitely shades here, right? But I think I would put, um, here's my, uh, all right, Ellen, this is going to be super clumsy. Thinking about putting them on a spectrum, right? And the spe- the spectrum, all of them is like their attitude towards reconciliation plotted out uh, from, uh, more pragmatic on the one end of the spectrum to least pragmatic on the other end of the spectrum, right? And I would put them in this order, from most to least pragmatic. Mithros, Fingolfin, Finrod, Turgon. Turgon is, is reconciling without a plan yet, right? Uh, uh, Finrod is reconciling because he really wants to, because these are all his people and he wants them to get together, but he also sees himself as part of the big picture and them joining together as part of the big picture, right? So there's more pragmatism there than with Turgon. Fingolfin is even more pragmatic because he's less personally invested than Finrod, right? He's Finrod is like, I want to be friends with everybody. Fingolfin is like, we should be friends with everybody, but it's, 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 not, it's not as important to him as it is to Finrod. It's not as much of a part of his character, but he's still... wants to do what's right, right? And he still wants to reconcile him. He still has some guilt about the kinslaying, which he still would like to work through as well. But again, he's still more pragmatic. At the end of the day, he's also the High King, and he also is even more keenly aware than Finrod is of the importance of... I mean, he's in Mithraim, right? So he's looking out at Angband all the time. And then you've got Mithros on the other end there, maximally pragmatic. Um, Yeah. Okay. Um, Uh... Yeah. Now, Nick, I'm not saying that Turgon is like totally non. By by saying that, I'm I'm not trying to say that Turgon is wildly impractical, right? Uh, or like a dreamer unconnected with reality. I'm just talking about motivations for reconciling with the Sindar. That's the only issue that I'm talking about here. He can be frightfully pragmatic in other ways if he wants to. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. That works. Now. So thinking about that. Now we now we got to think about where we place this. We have to establish Vinyamar and Minas Tirith. Their first places are important because we and those obviously cannot be cut because we're going to need both of them later, and it's really important to establish both of them here. Vinyamar super important because the whole tour story is going to be nonsense if we don't clearly establish Vinyamar and Minas Tirith is less important than Vinyamar. Uh, but still important. We do still need to establish that. So, as I recall, episode four, right? Episode four is the building episode. That's the ep- the episode which we could actually title of Beleriand and its realms. With it totally has to be an episode title somewhere in this season, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. Yes. Okay, I was <laughs> right. It is episode four. So we've got the establishment of Vinyamar, 
the establishment of Minas Tirith, probably, right? Yes. The rebuilding of the Havens, right? So we have one episode, which is just from beginning to end, one long set of building montage, construction montages. That's great, right? Don't you think that's great, Dave? Right? Yes. We just go back and forth yes. from site to site, right? Looking at the building of buildings. Awesome. That's can we also good. have... Um... Can we also have like uh, steering committee meetings? <laughs> oh man, yes, high drama of the construction steering committee meetings. Absolutely, yeah. it'd be Absolutely. like watching the like watching the city council proceedings on the uh, local access TV oh, network. Absolutely, what could be better? What could be better? Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I obviously I know other things happen in this episode. Um, and Nan Elmuth, right? Okay, right. We do the flashback to Aeol and Nan Elmuth. Sure, yeah. Why not? Okay. Um, uh, oh, Galadriel and Doriath. Yeah. Can we can we interrupt this for uh, uh, an interlude of Galadriel talking to Melian here? You're right. Yeah. And so we also had in episode four as um Reco- no, it wasn't an episode four. Drat. It doesn't start. The drama doesn't start until episode six, as far as the the Noldor and Sindar are concerned rumors and such don't start till episode six. So, all right. Well, anyway, okay. Um, yeah, exactly. Both Nick and Tony said it's elvish, elvish C-SPAN is what we get in, uh, in episode four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Right. No, that's cool. I, I'm just, I'm just, uh, ooh, Phil says, would you need building inspections as well? Oh, see, there's the drama. Right. The Andromeda comes yeah. and the inspectors come and, and, and like, so they kind of like come to Vinyamar and they're like, is that up to code? You know, let's check that out. Um, yep. No, that's all. That's all great. So this needs to be an episode four. Why does this need to be an episode four? Episode one and two, we are sorting out the Noldor. Right. The Noldor aren't even sorted, like as far as who's High King and all that. And neither is getting back and, 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 and getting better. Um, um, and Galadriel setting off maybe to Doriath, right? As we were talking about before. Fine. Uh, I think we could. Yeah, the Noldor are claiming their realms. Why do we wait until four? Why can't we do that in three? I'm not sure we're crowning him High King in episode three. That seems too late to me. What's going on in episodes one and two? I mean, I know we got to rescue Mithros, but surely. If we're rescuing Mithros in episode one, we can be crowning Fingolfin by the end of episode two. Right? I mean... Like, I know that Mithros needs to get better, right? Uh, but we don't have to do his, like, fighting with my left hand training montage yet. Right? He doesn't have to be able... He, he doesn't have to be in fighting trim before he can abdicate, uh, right? And uh, acknowledge Fingolfin as the High King. Um, and time can pass between episodes one and two, right? If he's, if he's like carried by Fingon back into camp at the, you know, in episode one, he can be better in episode two, right? Why not? Like time can pass in between. So I'm not seeing why we would postpone the Fingolfin as High King until episode three. Exactly. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think we, we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, cause time can pass. It's all good. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, all that means is we have to make some effort to show time passing between episode one and two. No problem. Um, time's going to be passing all over the place, uh, in this season. So, so that's fine. So yeah. So if we do that, yeah, that looks good. Then 
See, this, what I'm thinking here is this bleeds us into episode three, potentially, for people to go off and start establishing realms, right? Um, so we don't have to have every single building in Beleriand construct, every city in Beleriand constructed in episode four. We can have, we can split, we can split those between episode three and episode four. This would also give us more time to put Finrod in Minas Tirith, right, before he's got to leave it. Um, and... Uh, Turgon and Vinyamar, because we're going to need to establish this. In my opinion, honestly, the building of the cities is less important than the establishment of what those things mean, right? So what do those things mean? What does Minas Tirith mean? Minas Tirith means it's, I mean, like, I don't, I don't mean the translation of the time. It means, the, you know, the uh, Tower of Guard, but like, that's the point, right? Finrod is, esta- I think it should be called Minas Tirith from the beginning. I think it should be called Minas Tirith from the beginning. The point is, we're showing the attitude of Finrod and what he's out for. Right. And he is out for he's 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 contributing. Right. He sees the the veil of Syrian as the potential weak point, a serious weak point. So he's like, I'm going to be here. Right. I'm going to park myself here. Mytheros, you've got over there. I've got over here. Um, I'm part of the team. Right. The the Leaguer of Angband team. That's Finrod from the beginning. Right. So that we have that as context for how he responds to the vision from Olmo. Right. Turgon is over by the coast. So from the beginning, he's like, I'm establishing Vinyamar is going to be the great, like, Nolor Sindar commune, right? Come join with me, my brothers and sisters, and we will get together and live the peaceful life, and we will reconcile and live by the sea. And look back towards, uh, look back towards Valinor, right? Uh, because it's like we're at the sea and we're going to be looking, we should have towers and we should be look actually physically looking out towards Valinor. Um, remembering the time that was and restoring the peace of old, which has been shattered through a series of unfortunate events, right? Even here on Middle-earth, in the midst of trouble, Vinyamar will be a city of peace, right? And uh, come ye all be welcome. And the Sindar who are like, hey, I'm into that. That sounds cool. I want to live in the peace, love commune on the sea. Great. Um, and uh, then, of course, this contextualize his reaction to the vision, right? When he sees, no, okay, great. Gondolin, let's make it secret. Let's tuck it away. Let's cut off contact with everybody else and make this like the Elvish Noah's Ark, the geographical Elvish Noah's Ark. I love that. I think that sounds great. Um, and yes, Nick, I agree. Neverest's position as a port should also be attractive to the Philothrim refugees. Absolutely. So he, the, a, a lot of the Sindar, come, a lot of the Philothrim end up living with him too, and then get locked up inside the mountains, which should make them very happy. Um, yeah, exactly. So Nevros being geographically out of the way does really fit with that. I agree, Ellen. I think that that all works really, really well. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So that can happen in episode three and four. So we're establishing both of their both their characters and the attitude with which they build. So like the building of Vinyamar and Minas Tirith is more about. They're explaining their attitudes, right? And showing what they're doing and why they're doing it and what their whole outlook is. Then they have the vision and lock themselves away later on. So now when, when does the vision happen? Vision happen after the battle? Yes. The vision happens after the battle. So the battle happens and it's clear. To, so on the one hand, because we have the, the, the two different directions that the, on the one hand, the battle can lead you to being overconfident. Like, Hey, look, we've got this leaguer thing, right? We have this nailed. We totally destroyed them. Um, we, uh, we have successfully put Angband in leaguer. We're great. Right. 
is the is on the one hand. On the other hand, people will be taking warning from it and being like, okay, so that was not great. We won, but it could have been bad, right? Uh, and it might be worse in the future. So maybe we need to think about plan B and boom, El, uh, Olmo's vision, right? So it's all good. Um, so that the vision from Olmo comes after episode eight would make sense. So is that where we have this? Do we have the, where's the Olmo vision? Is that somewhere here? Olmo's dreams come to Finrod and Turgon. Uh, okay. Ooh, episode six. Well, we could do that. We could have the vision come earlier and the building start afterwards, but uh, this is the super tight. We need to be doing lots of Sindar, Noldor, tension, rumor building, Thingle, making his ban all kind of stuff happening there. There's so much there to do. I think we should put them after the battle. I think they should be the episode after the battle as everyone is trying to process, like we, we have like the aftermath episode, right? So the battle has just happened. And now in the next episode, we've got a bunch of different people just like processing what happened in different ways. Right. And almost visions coming, breaking into the middle of that, I think would work really well. So yeah, if exactly, Maria, I'm kind of thinking that too, if we're kind of penciling a move of the battle into episode nine, as I was hoping for in order to give the ban and the rumors and the spies and everything more of an opportunity to do their thing in episode six through eight, then it would be episode 10. So if the visions from Omo come in episode 10, we still have three episodes in which we can be revealing Gondolin and Argothrond. That would mean, so if the vision from Olmo doesn't happen, so, okay, so the big problem is this comes back to the Nargothron construction issue that you guys were working on before. Um, we can't have Nargothron built before the reveal of the Kinslaying, because we had the reveal of the Kinslaying, Thingol learning about it happening no later than episode seven. So if Nargothron is going to get built, not just conceived of, not just the vision happened, but if Nargothron is going to be constructed, before Thingol finds out about the Kinslaying, then it's got to happen way early. We're not going to have time for Minas Tirith. I mean, it's going to have to be at the time of the Merith Adderthad that Nargothrond is, is, is a building, right? And I don't think, I don't think that, that can work. Um, I don't think that can work. I think we have to make it afterwards, which means, which means, so, so Nick, I'm afraid your desire to, uh, preserve economy is being blown out the window post ban. So thinking about Thingol's arc, right? If episode seven is when Thingol blows his top, right? And bans Quenya, there are going to be, there will be two events that happen afterwards, which challenge his perspective, right? Which challenge him to like, be okay with this, right? Or move towards reconciliation, despite what he has learned. One of those is going to be Galadriel and Celeborn, right? Their engagement and subsequent wedding. The other is going to be Finrod and his desire to continue working with Thingol. So we can make the Nargothron story be part of the bridge building process. (laughs) Nargothron bridge building, right? Come on. That's funny. Um, Anyway, yeah, so, um, so, and right, Ellen, I agree, the Dagor Aglareb works there as well. 
Okay, Thingol isn't going to really participate in the Dagor Aglareb because the Dagor Aglareb is going to come right when Thingol is still in, like, you know, I don't want to call it petulant because the kinslaying's a big deal. You know, I'm not saying he's totally blowing that out of proportion. It's, you know, but but anyway, I mean, when he's still really upset, right? Um, so I agree, Brian. Melian's reaction should push Thingol away from hostility and towards some kind of reconciliation. And I'm thinking the engagement with Celeborn and Galadriel has a role there too, right? Um, Thingol blows his top. Then comes the Dagor Aglareb, which is a bit of a wake-up call, right? But he's still kind of resolute. Then Celeborn reveals, A, that he knew about it before and didn't tell Thingol, and B, that he's in getting married to Galadriel, right? And... This challenges Thingol even more, and this is, I think, where Melian really comes in and uh, uh, sort of comes in on the side of that. And then, um, and then, the third thing. So then, after those things have already come to sort of shake Thingol's uh, process, there, right? Then Finrod approaches him, and it's like, "So, uh, I've got this vision, right, Nargathron? What do you think? Can you help me out with that?" And so that becomes a latter part of the season thing, and becomes Thingol working towards reconciliation, though still not really there. Right. And Ellen, you're absolutely right. We do want Luthien to be a voice of reconciliation. So if she's going to act for reconciliation in the Merith Adderthod, as we were suggesting at the end of last time, um, you know, again, Sauron trying to stir up trouble and she subdues the trouble, right, during the Merith Adderthod, we certainly want her to be a voice for reconciliation with her mom, right? I don't see why she can't be there. Right, so we have like Melian and Thingol and Luthien all there. Um, like we, we could have a scene with the three of them talking about the engagement, right? Or and Celeborn, right? Um, I think that could be fine. So, so Nick, that would mean you're right. The uh, the dwarves kicking the exiles out of Nargothrond, the exiled dwarves out of Nargothrond, would have to be up here, right? We would need that to come. Um, the if the vision. The Olmo vision happens in episode, well, no, episode 10, because I'm still penciling in the battle for episode nine now. I'm, I'm wanting to push that up to leave more space. So if the vision from Olmo happens in 10, the earliest that Finrod's approach to Thingol could happen would be episode 11. Neither Nargothrond nor Gondolin, do they need to be finished? Yeah, they should be. We need to put... Fin, uh, we need to put uh, what's his face, Turkan, into Gondolin by the end, right? Um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We do need to. We do need to. I mean, they could still be living out of boxes, but they need to be there, right? Um, actually, living out of boxes. I like that idea, right? What if? What if we show? Yeah. What if we save the full reveal of Gondolin, the full visual reveal of the city of Gondolin until season five? What if at the end we show Turgon and his people coming? Because the Tumladen is large, right? The valley is large. We show them like camping in the valley and building the city, right? So the they're there. And so he brings them into the valley and he closes off the entrance, Right. And now they're going to go about building their little elvish utopia 
in the middle of the valley, right? So that we don't um, we don't have that. Uh, Anyway, I'm not insisting on that or anything. Just, just, just brainstorming, right? How we can have this, how we can squeeze this into the end of the season without having Gondolin appear like a pop-up book, right? Like between two episodes. Um, because again, we need to get them there, but we don't need to have it. I mean, in, in a way, actually, remember one of the things, one of the larger issues that we had between season four and five was Aravel, right? We needed to get Aravel sick of Gondolin by season five. And fairly early in season five, so she can get out and marry Aeol um, under sketchy circumstances. And we didn't want it to make it look like she was just bored instantaneously, right? So that's exactly what I'm thinking, Ellen. If we send her to Gondolin and have Gondolin not fully done, right? By the time then we, if if we only have, you know, the surveyors at work there on top of the little hill in the middle of of uh, you know on top of the 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 rock upon which Gondolin is going to be constructed, which is in the middle of the valley, right? If in episode 13, right, we show Turgon out there with the surveying crew, right, looking about laying the foundations for Gondolin on that rock, then when at the beginning of season five, we come to Gondolin and the thing is fully built, we've established that a great deal of time has passed, right? So that's, um, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I I like that as a possible solution to this. Nick is getting worried that we're overpacking the end. Okay, well, let's look at the end. Of course. Let's look at the end. Let's just scan the end, shall we? What's happening at the end? What's this? This is Galadriel and Doria. That's fine. Not much happening there. Or, 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 you know, being engaged and stuff, so that's fine. This is Fingolfin accepting the ban. Sure. Well, that's not so action-packed. That doesn't take too much time. All right, we've got a Glaurung. We've got Glaurung breaking out. Of course, that's the finale, sure. So we've got the fight against Glaurung there. Yep. Great. Got it. Okay, what's this tentative thing? Rog. Sure. Okay. Rog escapes and returns to Hithlum. All right, yep, that can happen sometime in there. Again, that's not like a full episode story or anything. Um, we can have that happen in 11 or 12. Sure. What's this? Uh, Turgon moving to Gondolin, right? Yep. That's what I was, or we can start them moving in episode 12. We can have them say, you know, have him review it or no, he'd yeah. Review it to the people. And then we show them there in the last episode. Yeah, I, I think. Okay. Um, Ooh, Arthel's farewell visit to the East. Okay. But again, not a lot of like, we just have to show her there. Right. We we wanted to show her hanging out with the Feanorians to establish that they're friends, right? So we need to have her there. Remember that scene we were going to do in Himling, right? And it was going Telkar was going to be there, and we're going to get the Dragon Helm, right? Arthel can be there too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the visit with Ignor and Fingen. That's it. And the acquiring of Narsil. Right? It was Narsil, not uh, the Dragon Helm. Maybe whatever. Yeah, right. Okay, Narsil. Sure, exactly. So. We can accomplish that, but again, we're not talking about a lot of action yet, so I'm still okay here. Uh, with the Sindar, the only thing we've got here in these later episodes is to Nargothron. Yeah, sure. Okay. Thing, uh, 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 right, folks. Moving in. Got it. What's down here? Um, Thingol learns Kelborn concealed the Kinslaying. Right, yeah. So we've got the... And then the the wedding has to be 
as we get towards the climax. So yeah, episode 12, I'm totally fine. Their wedding episode 12, that sounds perfect. And then what's this there? That is, uh, Ooh, Kelborn's sister, the green elf. Yeah. Okay. We need Kelborn talking with her. Okay. All right. So Nick, one of the things I'm noticing here, we're seeing a lot of like conversations needing to happen, right. And people needing to be in particular places, but we're not necessarily looking at adding, um, like big events, like this needs a full episode kind of events, you know? Um, and then, okay, wait, the dwarves, right. So yes, we were backloading most of the dwarf stuff, especially all the petty dwarf stuff. All the petty dwarf stuff would then have to fall into episode 10 through 12, basically. Um, uh, probably episode 10 to episode 11. If no, okay. If no, if 10 is the vision is happening, happening, by episode 11, the dwarves have to be doing their thing, right? Um, yeah. 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 So actually, that's the whole... That whole sequence, the petty dwarf scene, could be episode tw- 11. Then we have both the wedding of Galadriel and Celeborn and Finrod moving into Nargothrond in episode 12. And then Targon moving into Gondolin in episode 13. So that's all good. We'd have Targon scouting Gondolin. Targon would discover Gondolin early, right? Episode 10. So dream episode nine. So with the, the Targon arc would go, or this part of it anyway, would go the dream in episode nine discovers Gondolin in episode 10. Um, and then we see like the, the, the people moving there in episode 13 could be 12 if we wanted it to. Um, Finrod's would be dream in episode nine talks to Thingle in episode 10, right? Controversy. Do we want to do this? Are we okay with this? Yes. So episode 10 would then be the, uh, like Finrod, Celeborn, uh, Thingle, Melian, Luthien conversations, right? Like, so then like everything comes out. Finrod wants to build this thing and work with him. He discovers that Celeborn like is like knew about it all along and didn't tell him. Right. And oh, and he's engaged. And anyway, so like all of this comes out in episode 10. Right. But in the end, Finn, Finn, uh, by the end of episode 10, Thingol's like, okay, fine. Right. Um, fine. I'll give, you know, I, 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 I give, you know, like my blessing to the marriage of Celeborn and Galadriel. I give um, permission to let's, 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 let's help Finrod do his thing. Right. And so then, you know, like Mablung is like, hey, y'all talk to Norn. Right. I will see what we can work out. I think he mentioned something. Right. So. um, So then. Episode 11 would then be talking to Norn and doing the dwarf thing and then episode 12 moving in. Oh, shoot. You're right, Marie. Sorry, I'm making a mistake. Nine is the battle. See, I'm still being still being distracted. Nine is the battle. So 10 is the dream. Again, so Turgon again, 10 is the dream. 11 is the scouting. And then 12 or 13 is the moving into the valley. 10 is the dream for, uh, for Finrod. 11 is the crisis and the family intervention with Thingol. That would make 12 the dwarf episode. Whew. Okay. 
Yes. Yes. Um, uh, no, Nick. I, I, so hang on, Nick. I'm, I'm I'm not understanding. How does this? How, how does putting the dwarf stuff at the end here not make it a part of the forgiveness theme? How does that? And I mean, I agree. It. I mean, it, it bring. The way the forgiveness theme is the forgiveness theme is going to be as complicated and multivalent as this entire season is going to be, right? It's not that there's going to be one trajectory of like the forgiveness theme. Rather, it's going to be a true theme that is uh, an idea that will come up again and again in different ways, and we will see people, different people, going in different directions with varying different kinds of outcomes, right? From based upon the extent to which they're willing to forgive. Um, but this, of course, if we do the dwarves in episode 12, so we can show this happening in episode 12. Like, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. Oh. Nick is reminding me of what I said before. That's always awkward. All right, Nick, let's see. My original conception was that Mablong might be uncomfortable with the treatment of the petty dwarves by the other dwarves, and then towards the end of the season, Norn throws the ban in his face. That could happen in this one episode. Well, why not squeeze it all into one episode, right? So Mablong talks to Norn. Norn is like, hey, I've got a great idea. Because I don't think it's going to get resolved, right? I mean, we're going to end just with discomfort with what happened with the petty dwarves, right? I mean, that's just going to be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Ellen, we can establish the idea... We're we were going to have some dwarf scenes earlier. Like we still wanted Carinthir, right? We still wanted Aeol. We still wanted Telkar. Um, it's just the petty dwarves story that would be stuck into episode 12. So we will have other dwarf moments, Carinthir, Telkar, um, uh, Aeol. We'll have other dwarf moments in which the concept of the exiled dwarves can be introduced. So that when we meet them in episode 12, we're not shocked, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, exactly, Ellen, I agree. The, uh, the, I, the fact that the whole forgiveness thing is never ironed out between the exiles and the, uh, and the, and the great clans. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the, uh, not being reconciled is sort of the thing there. Um, yeah. Marie, you're right. We can have Norn and Mablung discuss petty dwarves before the kinslaying reveal. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't see any other way around it. I mean, I, I definitely see why it might be cool to be able to do the petty dwarfs and incorporate them a little bit earlier in the trajectory, but I don't, I don't see how it could go. 
if it's going to be a Nargothron thing, it's got to be after the dream. And how can the dream be before the battle? If it is, then it's just going to be a sideline and a distraction. I mean, the whole center of the season, from the Merith Adderthad in the beginning of Sauron's scheming and spying, right? From the Merith Adderthad through episode, we're going to have four episodes in a row, which are going to be all about the tension, right? And the suspicions and the spying and the, and the rumors and the reveal and the ban and the reaction, right? So all of the Noldor that Noldor send our attention, this, if we have the dreams happen in the middle of that, I mean, we could make it work, but um, I, it, it seems to me like it fits much better out here in episode, I keep wanting to put it in nine, in episode 10, right after the battle happens in nine, which ties our hands as far as the petty dwarfs are concerned, they've got to get squeezed in. And I think it's got to be 12. Now, the thing... Nick, here's my least favorite part of that. My least favorite part of that is that we're showing the petty dwarves being kicked out of Nargothrond at the same time that Galadriel and Celeborn are getting married. <laughs> Though it does explain... It does explain where <clears throat> Finrod was at the time, right? And why Finrod is not seeing this, Right? What if he's, so he's staying there. So he goes to talk to, to Thingol and he stays, right? Because he's staying for the wedding, right? So he stays in Doriath for some time. Meanwhile, Thingol says yes. And Mablung's like, I've got a great idea. And he talks to Norn. So Norn goes and does this while the wedding is happening, right? While, so Finrod is still in Doriath. This explains why Finrod doesn't know, right? So he's been in Doriath for a while. He stays through the wedding. And, and then like, so we, that would help us to ramp up the irony, Right? He all aglow from his success with things. So here's Finrod, right? After the battle, he's like, I'm going to be a force for reconciliation. I'm going to help bring the ban has happened. And that was super awkward. Let's not be in any illusions about that. But I'm going to help, right? So I'm going to go to Doriath and I'm going to ask Thingol. And I've had this vision and I'm like, Omo told me so. And this is going to be great. So Thingol, let's work together. Let's all be friends. Let's be on the same team. And, oh, and my sister's getting married to Kelborn. That's great. So, and so, thing, you know, Finrod is like, we're going to work together. And the marriage here is like the second joining of our peoples. And, and now we're all one big happy family and everyone is accepting and forgiving of one another. And then meanwhile, the petty dwarves are being frog marched out of Nargothrond and he doesn't know it. Right. So then he comes back to. Nar- so then afterwards, Thingol is like, I got this place for you. Right. And. Uh, Finrod is like, great! And so he goes, So Finrod is looking at Nargothron and he's like, this is so beautiful, right? This is the fulfillment of all my, my forgiveness and reconciliation dreams, right? And he can make a, an ironic speech like, Nargothron shall be the embodiment of like peace and reconciliation. And meanwhile, we know, like, and then we like cut to the grumbling petty dwarves marching with their, you know, haversacks across the countryside looking for a new home, right? Yeah? Huh? And the dwarves like it. is not are not on the so it's I mean it's you know it's like the the irony is a little bit dark right but again that's that, that works I think yeah I mean I think you know it's it's all good um yeah I like it okay Whew. all right okay um uh now we have to be careful to you know we talked about this when we talked about the dwarves we still got to make sure that we're humanizing Norn appropriately and that we're not. We don't, and Ellen, you're right. We don't want to make just the dwarves look like super evil. Um, uh, but, um, 
Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Brian says he can be like, everyone is free to live in Nargothrond. Oh, yeah. That's a great speech, Brian. That's, a, that's a, so, some line like that, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, everyone... Everyone will be welcome to live in Nargothrond. And then we cut to the petty dwarves marching across the countryside. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. No, I like that. That that can work. And so um, that would mean we could do episode 12 if we had the wedding at the beginning of the episode. And he could actually then go to Nargothrond at the end. Right. I don't think we have to, unlike Gondolin, we need to get the people into Gondolin because the people being into Gondolin and vanishing from Vinyamar is a, is a plot point, right? The actual arrival of uh, Finrod's people in Nargothrond doesn't need to happen. I think if we... Uh, I'm okay with the Gondolindrim living out of boxes in Gondolin. I would be okay with Finrod doing the final walkthrough of Nargothrond, right? Him looking around the empty caves and being like, oh, great. Yeah, we'll knock that through over there and we'll make it. Yeah, this is going to be great. Right. Um, and then we can show Nargothron fully constructed next time as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. Nick says everyone's welcome to live in Nargothron as long as they can get past the deadly archers. We will post who will only let Baron through because he's holding up the ring. But that's a post Dagor Bragalock issue, right? Uh, that things are going to change. It's always going to be secret, right? But things are going to get a little more intense after the Dagor Bragalock. So it's all going to be good. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Okay. No, I think, I think, I think, I think that can all work, right? Again, so this is all made easier by the fact, I think this, again, I'm open to alternatives. If like people are really insistent that we want to see, you know, the, the, White Towers of Gondolin raised before the end of the season. I could be convinced of that, but I think I'm going to need some convincing. It's going to be a lot easier, especially given the time frame we have in these last few episodes. If we don't have to work in the construction montages into episode 12 and 13, it's going to make episodes 12 and 13 much easier, I think. Um, but, uh, oh, Ellen, uh, super easy. Nothing easier than establishing Finrod's living in Nargothrond. We're showing him moving in. Right. Like we're showing him moving in. So, you know, again, episode 12 or the beginning of episode 13, wherever we want to put it, he comes into Nargothron and is like, I love it. I'll take it as is. Right. And and this is going to be uh, awesome. This is going to be the monument to freedom and welcoming secret, though secret and strong and all that stuff. It's going to be great. And then, of course, at the, episode one of season five, it's fully constructed, again, conveying that a, sig- a significant amount of time has passed, just as when we go back to Gondolin and everyone's like, I've really enjoyed living in Gondolin for the last, you know, several hundred years, um, then it's fine. Right. So. Uh, so, again, we, we were able to show both by episode one of season five, both Nargothrond and Gondolin will be fully built and have been established for some time. Again, it helps us to show that uh, time has passed when we get back to them. I have another idea for that in season five. Let me say it now because I'll totally forget it later on. I think episode one of season five should be just the men. I think we should start with the men at the beginning of season five, like we started with the elves in the beginning of season two um, a little bit. But anyway, okay. All right. Um, Future, future considerations. So what else needs to happen? The dragon stuff. Other things happening. Notice that the uh, look at all the color here in the middle, right? This is the bad guys' plots, right? So here's Sauron doing his Sauron thing and the battle preparing and everything. That's all in the orange, right? Then episode ten, 
to the end is just dragon stuff, right? Getting ready for Glaurung. And since Glaurung is going to be mostly just teased and foreshadowed, we don't have, I don't think we have a whole large, like, I don't think we need a lot of screen time with Glaurung in episodes 10, 11, and 12. I agree that we can introduce him. I, you know, I, I, we don't have to pull him out of a hat in episode 13, but we're not going to need a whole lot of time there. Like, we're not going to have to dedicate an episode or half an episode to Glaurung in 10, 11, or 12. In fact, I, I think I recall us saying that we uh, actually prefer uh, yeah. to have less screen time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, wait. Nick wants to know, is Norn acting alone or does he go back to Azakal for permission to work the deal? Uh, no. No. Um, I don't think we're going to have time to have a scene with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to be able to have a scene with that. So, so yeah, so let's not do that. All right. Um, okay. All right. Now we've been on the Gantt chart forever. And so I've totally lost sight of the PowerPoint here. What else did we discover? Okay, so we did the building Minas Tirith. Yeah, we got that. All right, let's go back briefly. We're almost done. We're Oh, at least we're almost to the end of our time. Let us not say we're almost done. Um, episodes one and two. There's a lot to introduce at the beginning of the season. Yes. Okay, no, wait. Why do we need a two-hour opener? Didn't we establish there was almost nothing happening in episode one? I mean, okay, the rescue of Mithros is happening in episode one. But what else? Other than the rescue of Mithros, what happens in episode one? Fingolfin reforging Ring, Ringo. Okay, that can be a that's a scene, right? Um, mm-hmm. Morgoth putting out the clouds of darkness to block the sun, right? That can be demonstrated during the rescue of Myros, so that's cool. That can be like the opening of that. Kelborn. Okay, we've got the meeting. That's another thing that happens. So Kirdan and Kelborn coming in, and we have the first meeting of the Sindar and the Noldor. Okay, that's a legitimate second thing. Um. Wait, no, no, episode one, just episode one, Ellen, so nobody's going to Doriath yet, because we're still, we haven't even rescued Mithros yet, so I'm just thinking of episode one here first. Um, so the first meeting happens. Great. Okay, so so the first meeting between Kyrdan and, Kyrdan slash, you know, Kyrdan plus Caliborn and the Noldor, right? Fine. Happens while Finrod is, or Fingen, rather, sorry, is off, right? He's off rescuing Mithros. Meanwhile, there's the first meeting. Right. Okay. Um, um, great. Um, what else? What else is here? Anything else? No. Yeah, we're fine. Okay. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's good. That's good. Um, and again, this is episode one of a new season, so an indeterminate amount of time has passed, right, between the end of the last season and the beginning of this season. And there's no reason we need to suggest that we're continuing in the same minute, right? So we so- showed the sun rising. We're not going to, like, come in at, like, noon of that same day, right? Um, we can have people talking about how, you know, have Fingen setting out. Or, Yeah. I don't know, like Fingen leaves. I say we open. I think that like the when the when the 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 curtain comes up, right, on the on episode one, um, you know, on the, the first age material of episode one, it comes up on Fingen. Mountaineering. 
right? Uh, and we show above him the cloud of darkness, you know, um, so we can we can see Morgoth's defenses, um, and we. Um, and then, you know, so we see him going and then maybe he like, sees Milo's from a distance and then we cut, we cut back and then we have the, you know, and everyone's like, Hey, where the heck is Fingen? Um, anyway, I, I think that that all works easily enough. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, Nick, yeah. Fingolfin and Maglor have been staring across the lake at each other for an indeterminate amount of time. Yes. Now I'm not saying it's necessarily long. I, I, it doesn't have to be 50 years. Um, uh, indeterminate. It's indeterminate, Nick, is precisely my word. It has been an indeterminate amount of time since the end of the last season. It's probably not the same day, uh, but it doesn't have to be years later. I don't think we have to specify. Um, uh, does F- Fingen finds out about Mithras' capture off screen? I don't know. But anyway, we're g- this is like what we're going to do in the future episodes. All I'm saying is that doesn't sound to me like two hours of content, right? Fingen rescues Mithros, and they meet. There are two things happening in that episode, right? Fine. I think, by the way, we pat, we have Ringo connected with him becoming the High King. Um, I think that's when he reforges Ringo, is when, mm. when he accepts the High Kingship. So episode two is the aftermath. We have Mithros has gotten better. Again, time has passed between episode one and two, and uh, Mithros abdicates and uh, uh, cedes the high kingship to Fingolfin and Fingolfin reforges Ringil and Galadriel and, and they decide, well, Fingolfin decides and most of them agree or sort of tacitly agree that they should really figure out what's going on with the Sindar and, and, and learn about that because they just, you know, get following up on the conversation with Celeborn and Kyrdin in the previous episode. So Galadriel goes off to do her ambassadorial thing. She leaves in episode two. No problem. So I, episodes one and two don't seem overpacked to me. At least not anymore. Again, what else? No, it seemed okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. We can have a conversation between Norn and Mablung. Sure. Yeah. Why not? We can do that. If we want that then, no problem. Um, Morgoth takes off. Yeah. I want Morgoth out. I want him out of the way for most of the season. Yeah. Um, Yep. That's fine. Um, Let's see. Brian says there's not much visual interaction between the Fanorians and the Noldor before Mithras's rescue. There can be. Yeah, I mean, things are tense, right? They're not like leaping at each other's throats. Things are tense, right? Uh, uh, and they, but, but I don't think we have to show that. I think it's better to sort of suggest that there has been tension and for an indeterminate amount of time rather than to try to show all of the tension, you know, the blow by blow of like how they interact with each other. Um, we can just establish that like neither one of them particularly wants to go into battle against each other, right? Fingolfin is anti-battle as we know. Uh, uh, the other Feanorians, like even Kurofin would probably be like, yeah, maybe we should like not do that right, right now. Um, uh, so, I mean, none of them really want to jump into battle. So the idea that there's been tension and that things could escalate to bloodshed, that's, that's on the table, right? But it doesn't have to be, neither side as a side, like as a group, are really eager to go to war, necessarily. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, no, Ellen, we had the Sindar making contact right away in episode one. That's, it's fine. Yeah. There's, that's, uh, that's, uh, so yeah. So they, they, they go. No, no worries. No worries. Um, sure. 
Um, let's see. Hakan said we wanted Morgoth to meet the spirit that became Glaurung early on. We'll come back to that. I'm not a huge fan of the the spirit that will become Glaurung, introducing him as a character. Um, we could, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not overwhelmed by the idea. I don't th- know that we need it. We could do it, but I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not 100% convinced. Not 100% convinced of that. Now, some of you are telling me that we need more time to pass at the beginning before episode one, like between episode 13 of season three and episode one of season four. Some of you are telling me that we need to have little time passing in between the two of them. My response to both of you is that we have an indeterminate amount of time passing. So it's fine. It can accommodate either one, right? Uh, If... If we don't nail that down, right, we don't know. Has it been a few days that he's been chained to the rock? Has it been? Who knows, right? We don't know, and it doesn't matter, right? Uh, so, yes, the uh, uh, Kyrdin and uh, Kelborn saw the Noldor camp from afar at the end of season, uh, at the end of season three, and they're coming in to visit and say hi here at the beginning of season four. How long did it take him to do that? Did they go there right away? Did they do something else first? Did they talk about it and try to decide what to do? Did they send a message to Thingol? Who knows? If we want it to take more time, we can find reasons. If we don't, it doesn't have to. It could be the next day. But the most important thing is we don't say how long it's been, right? All we establish is all that matters. All that matters. Mithros is captured. There is tension. The Sindar are ready to meet. That's it. Right? How long does that take? I don't care. Doesn't matter. Um, that's that's um, uh, that's the. Uh, but Ellen, I'm not suggesting he waits until after Fingon rescues Mithros. I just said they both happen in episode one, and that I'm going to wait to dis- to iron out the details of that until we talk about episode one. That's all. That's all. Um, yeah. Um, Well, Nick, let me come back to the dragon concerns. I get the dragon concerns. I mean, I understand what the concerns are uh, there. I don't want to short shrift it, is my concern here. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) Brian is arguing for a relatively short period of time. Okay. 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 I don't care. Again, I don't care. It doesn't, let's just not specify. I mean, Dave, does that seem to be a problem to you? That we just like, we don't say, if we don't say it's fine, right? People can imagine, if people, if it fits people's headcanon that it was a long time, they can imagine that. If it, they want to imagine that it's the day after the end of season three, they can do that too. Like, can't we accommodate that? Does that, is it just me? Am I oversimplifying? I, I think, I think that's okay. Uh, I, I, I think, <clears throat> I think being overly pedantic about passage of time uh, is uh, like, I think people aren't thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think people, people aren't thinking about what it would be like to watch that on TV. Come on. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I agree that like going too far in the other direction where you're uncareful and careless about it and you're not mindful of how it's portrayed. So it feels right. like, right. so it feels like characters are Ubering around a massive medieval yes. continent that, right. that right. I agree. That's also dumb, right. but um Right. I think if we're uh, thoughtfully vague, that that works out best. Exactly. Yeah. So, Ellen, in response to your Mithros comment, see, again, we don't have to specify an amount of time in order to establish that Mithros is profoundly changed by his torment. What we do 
is establish through our depiction of Mithros that he is profoundly changed by his torment, then you as viewer, right, can fill it in, right? If you're saying like, oh, he must have been up on that cliff for like a really long time to come out that way, then by all means, think that. And our depiction won't stop you thinking that, right? If you can fit it into your own headcanon that it was a traumatic, though short experience, goodness knows many experiences which don't last that long, nevertheless have a profound change on people, right? So if that works for you, you can do But we leave it an open canvas for people. They don't, people can make their own decisions on that, right? All our job is, is to show that Mithros is profoundly changed, right? And then, and that has to be consistent with what we show, right? But the whole point of not specifying the passage of time is that we don't have to take sides on these things. We don't. We just have to show the basic facts, right? Um, good. Okay. So, um, excellent. Now, so I think that that works. Seasons three or episodes three and four. And I think we've got it. I think we've got it. There are a few issues that we need to get back to. Um, Story arcs that need attention. Running out of time. Um, okay, the, let's see how much of this we've talked about. The dwarves, we need to know how they tie into other storylines. Do they get their own story? Hmm. I wouldn't say their own story. I mean, we're going to get that... In, we're we're going to get a few important glimpses into the dwarves, right? We're going to see the dwarves interacting and establishing trade relations. We're going to see the dwarf, the dwarf craftsmen, and we're going to get some feel of that with Telkar and especially with Aeol and Telkar being creeped out by the swords, right? So what we will learn not only that they're craftsmen, we'll see some of the dynamics of that and Telkar is a positive example. We'll see the forging of Narso and stuff like that. So we'll get some like cultural elements, right, of the dwarves there. And then of course we get the big petty dwarf issue with Nargothrond at the end, which should be, if we do it right, very moving. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so, um, so I think that we can, um, I don't see us having really a, 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 a dwarf arc exactly like a, a complete dwarf story. I think they're going to, I mean, this is a very elf focused season. We're not forgetting about the dwarves, right? The dwarves will come in now and again and we'll show them interacting, but I don't see us having what you would call a, like a, th- a plot thread for the dwarves exactly in this season. I just, I, I think we don't have enough time. Um, the villains are largely secretive and unsuccessful this season. Yes. And I love that. Um, and what I love about that most is that Morgoth is, that's why I want to get Morgoth out of town. And I want to emphasize that he's out of town for the vast majority of this season. In fact, I'd rather not bring him back until like episode 11 or 12. If we could, I, I would like, Morgoth to be absentee. And here's why. I like the fact the, a lot of things are going to happen, right? We've got two full seasons of material between the arrival of the elves and the Dagor Bragalak, right? The first time that Morgoth's plans really work, right? The first time when the elves start, the elves aren't going to start to lose in their ongoing conflict with Morgoth until the Dagor Bragalak, right? During the time of the long siege, what the heck is Morgoth doing? Why is he not more effective? We want to be careful that we don't make Morgoth look impotent. 
right? So the sun rose and Morgoth sits there for hundreds of years. Again, I'm not saying that's what the Silmarillion necessarily says. What I'm saying is we want to be careful that we don't suggest that, right? We don't want to show Morgoth sitting around for hundreds of years while the elves are doing all of this development, right? And building all these things and forming these relationships and and have Morgoth be like uh, spies, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Uh, What should we do? Uh, Battle? Oops, that didn't work, right? We don't want him to look incompetent. So I love the fact that he's gone, right? Sauron by himself is not a match for the Noldor, right? Sauron by himself is going to get his butt kicked by Luthien and a dog, right? He is not, he cannot be the big bad. He cannot be the big bad. He is not sufficient. So Morgoth is gone because he's doing something more important, which is going to bear fruit later on. And the bad guys who are there are the junior league bad guys. And that's why not much is happening. Not much effectual is happening. Sauron's plot works, right? Sauron's plot does bear fruit. His secret thing, right? His spying and rumor thing, it bears fruit. But only in kind of small ways. It doesn't break the siege, right? It doesn't change the whole picture. But again, he can't. He's not that good, right? Um, so... Uh, Yeah, so I like Morgoth being gone. Does he need to be back in time to be more part of the Glaurung story? (sighs) Yeah, I mean, dragons do have to be Morgoth's project. They can't be Sauron's project. Um, But this gets back to the dragons issue. Spoiler. Nick, I don't think I agree with you about Glaurung as interlude at the end of season at the end of the season. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise, Nick. I, 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 I don't agree with you. I know you're going to be shocked to find that I don't agree with you. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not seeing that necessarily. Um, eh, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, I'm going to, yeah, so I, I don't think it will feel disconnected. I don't think it need feel disconnected. But I'll come back to that. I don't have time for that right now. But I want to come back to that. At the beginning of next time, we'll talk about the dragon thing. Um, where do Fingolfin and Thingol's stories end for now? We did that with Thingol, right? Thingol making moves towards reconciliation, getting over it a little bit, right? The, with, we, so we've got in episode 12, the Nargothron thing and the wedding thing, right? And him still not being perhaps psyched about that, either one of those things, but him kind of being brought around, right, to some extent. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, Fingolfin. I'm not sure where Fingolfin's story ends up. We kind of move away from the North, honestly, after the battle. Fingolfin will be a center point of the come on guys we need to get together and oh great the ban is happening and like that like everything is falling apart right at the moment when the orcs are about to attack we really need to pull this together people and so his response to the ban his like okay no quenya i agree please though can we work together i'm sorry our bad i won't speak quenya can we work together? That's where Fingolfin ends up there before and after the battle. Fingolfin should certainly be one of those who sees the battle as a warning, right? And who is thinking, all right, we need to, we need to 
we need to move on, right? We need to uh, uh, to to see this as uh, you know things are going to be happening down the road. Um, um, Ellen wants to, you want to have Morgoth start the Dagor Aglareb himself. I am strongly opposed to that. I am strongly opposed to that. I want the Dagor Aglareb to be happening. I want Morgoth to be again. I I, I don't want him weak. I don't want him weak. And I, yeah, I, I like the plot that we had of him being away, coming back after the Dagor Aglareb and Sauron being like he started it, right? Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't like that at all. I want him to be absent. Um, Hakon, we absolutely have Fingolfin concerned about the kidnappings. Again, what I'm thinking about, though, if I could just pull up the chart for a second again, most of our yellow stuff, right, that is the uh, the episode the the last quarter of the season the post battle quarter of the season is mostly doriath and gondolin nargathron doriath focused we don't have much going on with fingolfin and i think that's okay we can come back to him i don't want to forget him but i don't see that he has a major role in the storylines that are happening there until of course glauron comes out and then his people are so in a sense where i see uh, Fingolfin being at the end. So in episode 10, after the battle, at battles episode 9, episode 10, we see Fingolfin being like, okay, it is imperative, right? We must join together. If we're not working together, like we won this time, but we might not win next time. Next time he's going to come back with something bigger and worse and it's going to be awful. So we need to get together, right? And then episode 13, Glaurung comes out. And so here's Fingolfin, right? Being like, see... See, like we need to be ready, and so they fight off, and they we do have some working together, right? Uh, with uh, with Glaurung, um, but I don't see a lot happening, like episode eleven, episode twelve. I don't see a lot of like movement necessarily with 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 Fingolfin. Um, yeah, well, I could be convinced of that, Ellen. If you want Fingolfin to be overconfident, I can I can see that. Who else would be the Thanorians? Yeah. I couldn't see Mithros being overconfident at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Ellen. It does fit better into his despair and battle with Morgoth after the Dagor, uh, uh, Dagor Bragalach, rather, if he is overconfident. Yeah. No, I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah, Hakan, definitely Gothmog and Bulldog uh, start the Dagor Aglareb. And, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway... Yeah, no, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. Somebody will still be saying the things that I was just saying, attributing to Fingolfin, but I can, I can be okay with it not being him. Um, if that's Mithros, essentially, right? Um, you know, Mithros, Fingon, perhaps, right? Maybe Fingon is the voice. Uh, I mean, certainly his actions in rescuing Mithros were, you know, he was taking steps towards reconciliation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, sure. All right. All right. Um, so if we have Fingolfin be the primary voice for, see, we won the battle, we will win every battle, That the orcs can't stand against us, Morgoth has no choice, and, you know, the Noldor are victorious. Okay. Okay, somebody's got to say that. So it, it it works for me to make that Fingolfin. Um, sure. Um, great. Okay. Um, 
Let's see. Um, yeah, beginning, middle, and end. I didn't get to Nick's stuff. Um, let's see. Okay. Here's what I would like to do. I agree this stuff is important stuff. At the beginning of next time, and this will totally not take the whole episode. At the beginning of next time, I want to talk about the dragon stuff because I've been avoiding the dragon topic because I want to I want to make sure we look at that and um and I didn't want to rush through that. I want to look at the dragon thing in the end of the season. I want to think about this stuff, the beginning, middle, and end stuff. Um can we get so Nick, you were doing a I'm going to always show it, even though I'm not going to get much of a time to talk about it. You were looking at beginning, middle, and end for the, the, the these different characters and things. Can we do a similar thing with the... Um, I guess what I'm looking for, I would like to see visually like a simplified version of the Gantt chart, essentially, right? To show the arcs, the the major plot arcs, not character by character, but the... So, you know, we have the um, the Galadriel Kelborn storyline. Well, really, no, because that's part of the larger. The Sindar, um, Sindar Noldor storyline, right? The, um, uh, you know, Gondolin Nargothrond storylines. Like, can I just sort of see how all these things are shaped so that we can, because the, the mood whiplash thing that you guys were talking about in those notes, you know, worrying about shifting from one part of one thread to another part without, you know, having the episodes feel really, like, weird. Um uh, that would be, uh, I would like to, I would like to kind of, to kind of see that. Um, so, okay. Anyway, um, so let's see what we can pull together to look at the over, to sort of make sure that we're smoothing out. I feel pretty confident in the over outlines that we're looking at. Um, and, uh, um, and, but I want to, I want to make sure that we smooth that out. And then I want to talk about dragons. Then, we will go back to episode one and we will look at the we will look at the specific again, review what needs to happen in that episode and how we can make that make sure that that will all work. Um, and then who knows, maybe we can get to episode two, too, because we already kind of talked about episode one and two a little bit. And I don't think it'll necessarily take us that long to do this. So let's start mapping our way through um, through the episodes a little bit more rapidly, having done the thematic discussion, having done this overview, I think we can, we can sort of move through. Sam wants to know how long the series will be. How long will the TV series be all the way through, um, uh, uh, the, the, the last scene of the last, uh, episode of the last season, Sam is going to be Sam Gamgee getting on a boat, right? That's it. That's that's, that's Are you sure? We're not going to go all the way to Legolas and Gimli. I'm you don't want to do the. You don't want to do the, the the later career adventures of Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, uh, you know, spoiler no. <laughs> for twenty five years from now, I kind of want Legolas and Gimli to be on the boat when Sam gets on it. Like I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of want to put him on the same boat, frankly. Uh, Unless I've got a good reason to not do that, you know, like a good reason for what stuff I want to story stuff I want to accomplish before, uh, 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 you know, Legos and Gimli leave. Uh, I, I think I'm I think I'm packing them on the same boat. Um, uh, so um, anyway, yeah. Uh, so ballpark number of seasons, Sam, mm, 20, 25, something like that. 
is 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 what I'm thinking ish. You know, I, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, roughly. So yeah, no problem. And we're in we're in season four now. So uh, you know, before, uh, you know, that should put me. I should. St- I, we should finish this before I hit eighty uh, years old. That is. So uh, we'll be fine, right? Should be. Should be all good. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us. This was uh, it was good. I'm feeling much better about the season outline now. I thought that this uh, this stuff. Thank you guys so much for all the work that you've done. Uh, the thinking that has gone into the Gantt chart here is phenomenal. Uh, could never have done this without you guys having mapped this stuff out. Um, and the idea to use this as a form, Nick, was that your idea? Anyway, like the Gantt chart form, brilliant way. Yeah, really, it, it would have been insane to do it without it. Absolutely impossible. <laughs> um, and thanks, everybody, as always, for your contributions on the discussion boards and everything. Uh, this has been great. Really glad to see this kind of coming together here. And, again, so next time, dragons, make sure we're smoothing out the overview there, and then we will get into episodes one and two. I, I'm confident we're going to do episodes one and two next time. Now, you may ask. When exactly is next time? Uh, because we had to go off schedule for this week. So my plan is we will meet next week um, on the 5th of April because that's returning to our original schedule. And then from there, we should be fine. So we'll meet on the 5th and then we'll meet on the 19th uh, of, uh, of April and we can should be able to continue uh, on to May 3rd right after that. So back to the normal schedule starting next week. Um, I had to move... This episode was rescheduled from last week when I was in Florida. So uh, that's why we're, we're going to be back. So next week um, is, is when that's when we're going to be, right? Um, we've already, fortunately, again, we've already gone over a lot of this stuff. So um, that's, um, uh, but that's, uh, that's what's going to happen. So thanks. Oh, it was Philip's idea for the Gantt chart. Great, Marie. Thanks for that. Um, okay, excellent. Um, Thanks, everybody, and I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Godspeed.